Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Failed to tell you is this inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserve, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Dave's going to take it easy. 
He's here right in the studio with me. Uh, I was brave enough to venture out of the bunker and get some fresh air and make it through the traffic tonight. This is a nice uh, nice setup you got here, Dave. Everything looks great. Sounds great. Sorry about the little, little feedback there, but we got that figured out real quick. Anyway, we are on the American Voice Radio Network. You can listen to us live a uh, number of places here. You can listen to us on the AVRN TV stream, which is also being sent to YouTube. You can also find us on the TuneIn app, but that's only if you want the truth. Our live listener call-in number, if you want to call in and talk to the doctor or to myself and ask us any, anything you really can think of, that's health-related, of course. The number toll-free is 1-800-932-1980. Now, Dave's been kind of bugging me a little bit to tell people a little bit more about myself, and I'm not one to really talk about myself, per se, but, well, here we go. I'm the guy that was behind the scenes, all right, instead of setting up the cables, now I am in front of the cable. I am on the mic. So I've had about 30 years of production experience, and uh, I just figured, uh, you know, stroke of, stroke of luck, change of fortune. I have an opportunity now to share what I have learned over the years uh, here with the, uh, with the uh, blessing of Dr. Dave. And if you know my relationship with Dr. Dave, one of the only reasons I'm doing this show is because, well, Dr. Dave brought me back to, uh, to the living all right, and he's the next best thing to uh, to actually having Jesus right here with me. So without further ado, let me introduce the doctor, Dr. Dave Krupa. How are you doing tonight, Dave? Good evening, Joe. Um, not bad. At least you finally told people who you were. Um, to an extent. Welcome, everybody. We are doing a little different. We'd really appreciate your feedback. Uh, we have a new phone number coming out in a, in a, a little while here, so we're, we'll let you know when we have the new number. But in the meantime, we'd love to hear from you. And Joe's going to come up with some contact numbers so you can contact him during the week. Uh, in the meantime, you can always call my office, which is 832-220-6163. And you can reach me on the email. Um, but it's better to call me if, if you just have a, a quick something you want to tell us about. You can reach me at Dave Krupa, K-R-O-U-P-A, at sbcglobal.net. But I don't go back and forth on answering a bunch of questions because it's too difficult to go back and forth. I don't use my cell phone for texting like that. So it's always better to call me on the office phone so we can actually communicate directly and, and not wonder if the other one saw emails or something like that. So, Joe, what have you been up to this week? Well, not much, Dave. You know, just always doing my research for the show, figuring out what we're going to talk about during the week. Um, you know, talking to you, talking to some uh, some other folks. Got a chance to talk to Doc Green last week, and uh, look forward to meeting him and maybe spending some time with him. Of course, we always uh, like to reach out and find out what's going on. You know, with just, just people in general. You know, I'm always talking to my neighbors and finding out what's important to them. Um, not much though. I mean, just enjoying a beautiful day. It, it, weather's great down here in Texas. I hope wherever you are, you are having a great day and you're uh, in good spirits right now. Yeah, we are at 72.5 degrees as we speak, Joe. Wow, that is, that is really nice. And it was really clear, beautiful day. I just stepped outside, and, and the air smells great. I, mean, I guess we had a little front blow in. Nice, very nice. So uh, what do we have in the way of callers, emailers, what kind of questions and things came up this week on your end? Well, Dave, after I filtered through all uh, the hate mail for you, which I get a lot of, unfortunately. No, I don't get any hate mail for Dr. Dave. Everybody loves Dr. Dave. And, that's one of the reasons I'm here, like I said. I am standing behind something that I can truly believe in. And, you know, this guy that I'm sitting across from now, he 
fixed everything up. And I love homeopathic. I love natural results. And, you know, I feel compelled enough to talk about them. So we do have a couple of things that, you know, are important. And one of the questions, uh, and I get this a lot, and I, I experience this myself, um, you know, vision. Vision is a big deal. Everybody has vision, I would say, issues. But as you get a little bit older, you know, you know some that people kind of, no pun intended, overlook. So what are some things that you might recommend uh, to to help with that as people get a little bit older, you know, and maybe with, say, working at night, you know, the night vision, you know, some of the things that you, uh, you've experienced or... Well, we have some wonderful products, and I'll go into them in just a minute. But one of the things I always tell everybody is fight wearing glasses as long as possible because once you go to a pair of glasses, the eye muscles start getting lazy, and it just gets worse. So every year, people tend to have to get a stronger prescription because the muscles don't get used. They get lazier. They start you know, the shutting down and uh, your eyes get worse. So even if you have a prescription uh, where you found maybe I need some help with reading glasses or I need some help driving some glasses uh, when you went and took your eye test that they said, you know, you, you're not seeing far away good enough, do your best to make the eyes do a little extra work and keep them healthy. And then if you absolutely have to put the glasses on every once in a while, go ahead. But try not to, you know, don't don't let them become your crutches because the eyes will get weaker. Now, on, on the vision thing, uh, especially for night vision, one of the things that's been around forever is bilberry. And we have it from MediHerb, and it's a great product, and a lot of patients have come to me over the years and asked for something to help with night vision, and we've gone to bilberry, and they've had great results. We have another great product called iPlex, and it's got everything in there that has to do with good vision, making sure there's good circulation, making sure that everything functions right, there's not uh, any calcium deposits or anything that could stop your eyes from being able to do what they should do. So that's a good product. And we have another one, Oculotrophin, which is the protomorphogen which means good cells of whatever you're dealing with, and in this case, it's the eye. And uh, it helps to help that eye heal and be stronger and, and better. So just those few things are a real good start. And, again, every patient's different. You need to see what's going on. Uh, there could be all kinds of different problems where the eyes just might be showing up as a problem. All right. Well, I'm going to have to try some of that because, you know, I, I haven't had the best vision, but I noticed when I sit at the computer screen for a extended period of, period of time, you know, I just feel dry and maybe a little fuzzy around the edges. So make it a point to get up, take a break, give your eyes a break. It's always good to go outside and just immerse yourself in the uh, darkness of the night, you know, really, and let your eyes adjust and give them, give them a little break. All right. Um, another question. This is from uh, Tony out in uh, El Paso. I spent a lot of time in the sun when I was younger, and now I'm starting to see irregular molds on my skin. How can you tell if it's cancerous, and what are some things you need to look out for? Well, the definition of cancer is any cell that doesn't do the norm. So if you've got a mold, you could technically call that cancer. Um, now, some things are aggressive, some things aren't. 
So what, what you always want to look for is change in size, whether it hurts or not. Um, and then we just need to address that issue. There are wonderful products that address any kind of immune deficiency, which cancer is certainly going to be one, and many things that are directly related to skin, some things that are related to cleansing and liver. My experience has been that anytime there's a problem anywhere, the liver and kidneys are the two places you need to start because the liver is a natural body's filter, and so is the kidneys, and they're very responsible for a lot of things being healthy, and a lot of times something like that mole is something going on with the liver or the kidneys or maybe both and getting rid of it through the skin, which is the largest organ in the body. And so it could be a lot of different things. You know, know, everybody's going to be different. We could be dealing with the fungus. We could be dealing with the virus, the bacteria. Um, It it could be liver deficiency. So we're going to start with liver, start with kidneys. And and I always treat everything like it's the worst kind of cancer, no matter what. And also on the moles that you see external, one of the things that I've done over the years is take things that have the acid in them, like uh, Compound W, that's one of the brand names out there, but it's an over-the-counter, basically it's a little acid with a brush. And I've, on many things, painted with that, and there's a lot of generic brands, but painted that acid on these different moles and skin tags and things, and they just, with treating them on the inside, which caused them to start, and then with that acid on the outside, we kind of burn it off, and one of my patients went to a dermatologist and said, hey, uh, Dr. Grupa said I could try that. And he said, yeah, that'll work. Wow, fantastic. Uh, it's good to go to a dermatologist, I guess, if you if you have insurance and you want to go that route. I think you know, they want to go ahead and cut it off, though. And w- what's your feeling on that? You know, I mean, having a mole removed, it doesn't seem to fix the problem. It's just kind of a superficial well, if, if, especially if they're doing laser and they want to burn it off, I guess that's fine. But, yeah, you've got to figure out what caused it, what's going on. And my little acid brushing thing with the compound W's or any of the, you know, Walmart Equate brands, it's all the same product, uh, it works very well. What you do is you paint a coat of that acid on there, and when that coat falls off on its own, then you paint another one, and pretty soon you're down to it's gone. And then you got to treat it on the inside at the same time. So a very good point you brought up. If you don't treat the original problem, you're not going to do very good. You've got to fix what caused it. And But before you go and jump into just like detoxifying, I mean, you got to be careful with that too. You don't want to overwhelm your system. And, you know, again, we get to the products and, okay, what products are really beneficial for me. But you really want to consult, you know, your doctor before you start doing the cleanse because that can put you out in more ways than one. Well, yeah, and and what happens to a lot of people, when you become the patient and you're afraid, they sometimes overreact. And I'm of the belief, relax, find a doctor you trust. Uh, Hopefully, in most cases, the people that I know come to me and they trust me. But you need to really trust your doctor and, and do the things he says and not be trying to do a million different things that, like you said, you could really mess your body up and overload it. Um, I'm going to help your liver and kidneys be healthy, but we're not going to put you on 
a whole bunch of things that, you know, you can watch TV and think you how to do all this stuff, and a lot of these things are very bad for you. So we start basic. Every patient is different. Everybody responds different. And so we just have to work with that patient and listen. And I always tell patients that that follow-up and feedback is the most important thing because it's what makes me look smart, and I need all the help I can get. True. True. And, well, not true that you need all the help you can get. No, I didn't mean it like that. But it did sound like that, so take it for what it's worth. But I know as a patient, sometimes when I leave the office and i got a thousand other things going on, you know, sometimes it's kind of hard to keep up with follow-up. Um, you know, what am I supposed to take? When am I supposed to take it? I've gotten better over, over uh, you know, since I've been seeing you. I actually write down when I take something, you know, mark the time, the date, and what I'm taking. That way, you know, okay, if there's complication or I see a positive result from it, you know, hey, I can come back and reference that. I do think it's important that the patient, and I'm speaking from my own perspective, you need to have like your own little database somewhere. You need to have your files. You need to have your information. And not just, you know, recent. I mean, I wish there was a way you can go back in time. It seems like whenever I've had to deal with a doctor in the past, you go in the office and they give you a clipboard full of papers and it's like you're starting all over again. It's like you just came into the world. Is there not a database that we as the patient have access to or do you have a solution for that? I think that would really help and that's why I'm bringing it up. Uh, well, now there is databases that are linking a lot of stuff together. Um, it can be good and bad because the wrong people have access and they may know some personal things you didn't want anybody but you and your doctor to know. Don't get conspiratorial so, on me, Dave. Yeah, you, you got well, you got to be careful because a lot of these things have been hacked. They had they had problems with uh, finding patient information and in, in the trash can outside doctor's oh, offices. Yeah, I remember that. So <laughs> you got to be a little careful. Um, one of the things that Frank, uh, our our great producer and owner of American Voice Radio, told me that I had never thought about. I wish I could take credit for it, but it wasn't my thought, is that people don't realize when you get on Facebook or Fedbook, as some like to call it, and your cell phone and things like this, texting your doctor or asking those kind of questions, everybody has access to your private personal business. And so you really need to think about that. And yeah, they may still get tapped into your office phones and stuff like that, but it's always better to deal with your doctor on his office phone or in person so that your personal business stays personal. Yeah. No, I, I've been trying to gather up something to now keep track of everything. And, and, you know, I hear as you're dealing with some of the patients, and you know, I don't think it's that they mean to forget things, but they just do. Could be nutrition, could be GMOs, could be the fluoride, who knows. But if we come up with a way to keep them more in touch. And, you know, you really got to take on that responsibility yourself. It is your health, obviously, so you want to be so committed to it. And then if you have somebody else in your family, you probably want to follow up or have something that is tangible that you can always go to. And if you had to go to another doctor, you could go, this is my problem, this is what I need, and here, I got it all documented already. And, you know, you don't have to depend on somebody else, and you don't have to depend on a database that's up, uh, you know, up in the cloud somewhere. I don't know. seems like there should be an app for that. Well, and I think we are pretty close to that. We may be there. In fact, there may be a lot more databases like that than we even know about. So, hey, I wanted to say a quick shout-out. Uh, the Fredericksburg, Texas crowd, uh, they're listening to us out there on the radio, and we really appreciate that. Uh, my, my good buddy uh, Steve 
O'Brien and Alan Crutcher and uh, I think John Jarnicky and those are out there listening to us, and uh, we really appreciate anybody out there in Fredericksburg. I just wanted to say a shout-out because uh, we know you guys are listening, and we really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And we are watching the chat room, so Joe and I are paying attention. And if you've got comments and questions and anything at all, throw them at us because we want to get the chat room really pumped up and full of people and very interactive show with what Joe and I have tried to do, and Joe is super organized, guys. He's got an Excel spreadsheet that could probably work at NASA. Huh. But um, what we're trying to do is is really have a show driven by you, the listeners. And that's important to us because we want to talk about the things you like. We want it to be entertaining and hopefully a little humorous at times because the world is sad enough. We want to bring a little brightness into your life. Yeah, with so much going on, you know, we research through the week and in between shows, we talk and, and figure out what uh, what's important to people. And I mentioned maybe a couple of weeks ago, you know, I, I research, but then I get to this point of the show and I stop and it's just a culmination. But it's here. I'm here and the doctor's here for you, for the listener. And, you know, we hope to maybe make it a little bit better. Whatever condition your condition is in, the doctor is here to help. And that's, like I said, the reason that I'm even doing this show. Dave's a little reckless to let me drive the bus because I don't have a license, but oh well. We're on country roads now, huh? Yeah, God help us with Joe at the wheel. <laughs> and uh, Excel, you know, is a great document. Not to promote Excel, but it's a good way to uh, just keep some things in line. Anyway, a little follow-up from last week. I know we talked about the immigration crisis and some of the diseases that are coming over here. And I know we try to stay away from politics, but it has morphed into such a way that... Politics affect our health. We know Obamacare. That was a that was a mess. Hopefully that's getting changed. We'll cover that a little bit in the second half of the show. But with the immigration crisis now that is going on, that is something that we really need to be aware of, and we need to you know really be on guard against. Uh, we always recommend building up your immune uh, defense, your immune system, you know, to have defense against some of these um, attacking viruses and bacteria and stuff like that. But let me ask you, Dave. I mean. You know, leprosy is on this list. Well, what do you do in a case of that? And you know, I don't know much about leprosy. I know uh, obviously what it is, but I mean, what's the cure for that if there is any cure? Well, yeah, it's like anything else. There's going to be a cause. It's going to be a bacteria or a fungus or a virus or all the above. But when the skin starts attacking itself, basically, they're going to call it an autoimmune disease today. And they probably want to put you on some giant steroids and. Uh, that would kill you as quick as the other stuff. But everything usually has a cause. What we're seeing today is many things as we age that they'll tell you when they don't know what caused it, they call it idiopathic. And I guess idiot is a good way to say that. Is that what they're saying? Yeah, idiopathic. And really, though, we don't know. Like, everybody is affected different from all the shots they've been given over the years. You and I were both in the military, and we had a lot of shots, whether we liked it or not. And you don't know if there's a slow effect. Some people have immediate effect. Some children have autistic relapses and and things that pop up immediately. Uh, So everybody's different. We don't know if the the being around frequencies and power lines. We don't know if the fluoride in the water. All these things could have different reactions and different delay times in the human body, and everybody being different, you may have something pop up, and you're thinking, 
where where did this come from? Well, it may be 20 or 30 years in the making. Last week we mentioned uh, the Gulf War syndrome, and I heard something when I was researching. Was that that was the uh, the water bottles? They were sitting out in the heat, right? And the plastic gave off its chemical, you know, byproducts. But then the soldiers drank it out in the field, and uh, the accumulation over time led to that disorder. Most of that I understand is true, but I know there was some other stuff that was uh, going on over there, you know, like depleted uranium, and, you know, I didn't have to go, fortunately, and neither did you. But do you see, do you still see or you still hear a lot about some of these disorders that, that the military is, is uh, encountering you know, as they come back? Well, we should be hearing about them, but unfortunately for the veterans, the VA became a place to be forgotten. Uh, I think it's going to be different now under this current administration, so I'm hoping. But but I always tell the veterans, come see me. You know, there's even though it is a veterans administration and even though it could be made better, it's going to be pharmaceutically treated, and that's not really what you need in most cases. It's tragic, you know, reading some of those numbers on uh, the amount of suicide within the ranks of the military. I I know it's tough. I know we can't. Uh, I know everybody's not listening, but if you know somebody out there, there's hope. Don't give up. It's not the end of the world. I know you might be suffering a little bit, but there's always hope. There's always some help. And I'm so fortunate to have the doctor in my life. I tell you what, I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for him. Well, yeah, and, and you want some crazy guy like me that won't give up, that's going to fight till we win. There is no surrender in, in my thinking when it comes to your health. We're going to fight like hell, and we're going to win. You know we're going up against the Giants. That's all right. I got a slingshot. There you go. That's what I like to hear. And that's one of the reasons I like coming over here, too. It's nice to get out of the bunker, you know. Mom was looking to put some curtains up. And I, don't, I said, I don't need curtains in the bunker. Come on. Anyway, we uh, it could use a fresh coat of paint, but, you know, no curtains. Anyway, so uh, I was reading a little bit from the World Health Organization website about the immigration crisis and the way they worded it yeah there were some things in there that i took okay it could be useful but it seemed like they were more protective of the refugees themselves rather than the indigenous people that lived in whatever part of the world it is i know you see europe what a mess they've had some problems over there uh some of the doctors over there have actually you know retired so to speak to get out of it but um We'll cover it maybe on the other half of the break. But what are some of the things that you see that people can uh, be on the lookout for besides some of the things that I've mentioned? All right? Yeah, well, a big thing, and like you said, we'll cover it on the other side, but a big thing is we need to make sure that we're doing things to boost your immune system. So when you do encounter these things that your body isn't used to because they're coming from another land, that your body can fight back. Well, that's a perfectly good point and great way to go to the break. So hang tight, folks. We're going to... Say a word to our sponsors, and uh, we got some great products out here, so really listen to them and support them, because they really do help. They really do help. The uh, Numana and the Nat- uh, Nature's Logic, great products. Use them all the time and wouldn't talk about them if uh, I couldn't, couldn't stand behind them. So with that, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Cover more with Dr. Dave Cooper on the Natural News Hour.
You just defended yourself with a gun. The police are called and you're potentially involved in a homicide, but it was self-defense. At this point, you are not in your right mind. No one ever is when they are in fear for their life and defend themselves. Anything you say can and will be used in a court of law, both civilly and criminally. Fortunately, you have selfdefensefund.com. We are the National Association for Legal Gun Defense, and we protect our members nationally in all 50 states, up to $1 million per incident per member. Let us do the talking for you and visit selfdefensefund.com. Any weapon, any state, any time. Worried about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time? I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preservatives, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com, N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. TV and radio are great mediums for mass instruction, but for those times when you just want to hold something in your hands, there is the damn good times. I still love the newspaper, but I'm tired of the liberal bias. That's why I reach for the damn good times. Always full of interesting stories and great information, and you can have it delivered to your doorstep by calling 281-332-5710 or sending an email to news at thedamngoodtimes.com. Just $50 a year will get a full subscription. It's a great gift for all the patriots you know. Do it now. I would like to tell you about the only truly natural dog and cat food I have found anywhere. Most all companies add a synthetic vitamin mineral pack to their dry or kibble food. Nature's logic is different. With all natural ingredients and nothing man-made added, their owner, Scott Freeman, worked for another pet food company but decided he wanted to do things right. So he started Nature's Logic. You can check them out at naturelogic.com. You will find online and local stores where you can find their products. I spent a lot of time trying to find an all-natural pet food, and Nature's Logic was the only one out there. Give your pets the best and check out naturelogic.com. Your pets will be glad you did. They also have many other natural pet products to try. Natural News Hour on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm Joe. I'm your host. Host with the most. 
No, my co-host and, well, the leader of our great health nation is sitting to my right. Pleasure to be here with you, Dr. Dave, and I really appreciate you letting me drive the bus. i got to get rid of these fuzzy dice, though, because these are really starting to block my view. Real quick shout-out to everybody that's on the front lines fighting for freedom. We love you. We support you 100%. Do not give up. We appreciate everything you do. Now, for all you listeners out there that are listening live on the radio, you can catch us on IVRN TV, which is being streamed to YouTube, and you can also find us on the TuneIn app. And if you feel so, you can call in on the live listener toll-free call-in number, which is 1-800-932-1980. Again, I'm joined with the incredible Dr. Dave Krupp, and I say incredible because he's helped me out so much, I'm, and I'm just so pumped to be here. It's fantastic. Hey, what? We might kick it up a little bit. We've only gotten it out of first gear. Anyway, on the first half of the show, we were talking about some things that, uh, are, of course, are relevant to your health. We try to stick, keep the politics to the side, but not only because they affect us so much that we have to kind of throw them in there every so often. Dave, before we took a break, we were talking about some of the things that we can do to boost our immune system, and, and you wanted to follow up on that. Do you have some information for us? Well, yeah, and what we find, like, say, just in general with the regular flu season, okay, the people who get the sickest, the ones that are most in danger, are usually the ones doing a bunch of pharmaceutical medications. And what happens is they've already got their poor liver and kidneys and thyroid and adrenals overloaded with all these drugs that the first time a new virus or something comes along, they get really sick, and then you'll see them in the hospital, the emergency room. And one of the first things they like to do is pump them full of antibiotics, even when it's a virus, which makes no sense. So what I tell people to stay the healthiest is to good to do some good nutritional things like Immuplex, things like that that we use uh, to stay healthy and stay away from uh, all those drugs that are weakening your system. A lot of people think they need that stuff, but they don't. And one of our first things as a doctor is we're supposed to do no harm. And there's not many that could look you in the eyes and tell you that you're deficient of any of those things that come from the pharmacy, quite the opposite. And it does weaken your body's ability to deal with things. You know, in this country, in our glorious history, we used to have where doctors such as Dr. Krupa would practice openly and people sought it out as a regular means of treatment. Only until the industrialized hospital systems came along and with all their money were able to knock little guys like, like Dave off, you know, off the street corner and set up their industrial facilities. But uh, it used to be a part of our history where this was something that was just something natural, something that you did when you found, when you got sick. You don't need to cut. You don't need to dig into the body. You just need to feed it good nutrition. And which leads me to my next subject. When I was researching GMOs, which we love to talk about because I think that is you know that that's probably one of the most important things now we need to to look at. You know, we've mentioned the water. And the food now, and you know even the Fukushima. So if it's accidental or intentional, you know you got your enemies lined up against you. When I was researching the GMOs, Dave, they were talking about how they attack the healthy enzymes in your digestive tract, and over time, it accumulates to where you've got this basically garbage just accumulated in your system, 
Now, a lot of people, obviously everybody who, who eats, you know, they, they might have some sort of reaction. And I see a lot of people that are maybe out of weight or overweight and out of shape. But I see a lot of bloating on the stomach. Do you have anything that you can recommend for that? I mean, because the digestion, if you're, if you're not eating right, if you're not assimilating your food, all of it's going to waste anyway. So you got to start with the gut. What do you recommend in that department, sir? Well, yeah, and, and again, that's why we do liver and kidneys. One of my favorite products that I deal with is Diaplex, and it addresses liver, kidney, gallbladder, uh, pancreas, digestive enzymes, stomach acid, pituitary, a little bit of everything because you're very correct. The digestion is the start of everything. So if the starting point is bad and the food isn't processed properly there, it doesn't really matter what you do after that. You're going to watch the garden die slowly. So it's very important. And, and the problem with GMO is it's altered, and the body does recognize the differences. It knows the difference between whole natural foods and organic and natural. And you'll also hear people say, well, th this is bioidentical. Well, biologically identical, the body still knows it's not where it should be. So don't don't swallow that line where it's bioidentical and it's good for you. It's not. Uh, things that the body is designed to process are natural. Whether it says organic or not, it's not so important. But natural whole foods, the body knows how to do that. And when I meet a lot of people, one of the first problems is the gut. And they'll tell you that if you listen to the patients, they make you look really smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now I take the Immuplex on a daily basis. That's one of the things I enjoy. I take these products and I see a result. So I'll keep keep with it. Now, one of the things that I came across when I was researching, you know, one of the arguments they have for the GMO crops is that, well, it's, you know, to help the food and, you know, make it, uh, you know, where everybody can eat. Well, that's not quite the case. The biggest problem is logistics. So you still see people starving in Africa. So the whole theory of them, well, this is for your benefit, is, is out the window. I, I don't buy it one bit. And if you've ever seen, if you're a farmer, you probably know firsthand how hard-handed these people are. Um, fortunately, we don't have to deal with that. But we always recommend going to your local farmers and supporting them, people. They need it more than ever. Uh, you've got some folks right around here that have the, the uh, uh, organic uh, dairy farm over there. Are you still keeping in touch with them? Oh, yeah, and, and we may bring them back on uh, as guests. We've had both the husband and wife on. Uh, it started out as two two parents that just wanted to do healthy things for their kids. Awesome. They noticed that when they'd gone to the, the regular family doctor that things weren't going well and nobody was getting better. And so they start researching, and they've ended up with raw milk and raw dairy products and grass-fed natural meats. And uh, his wife is really good at, she's like the scientist in the kitchen there creating all kinds of wonderful skin products. And uh, she's got, she's the one behind the, the coffee drinks, the raw milk, organic chocolate milks. And uh, they have kefir and cheeses and probiotic drinks. I mean, it's just, they got wonderful stuff over there. So yeah, that's Grauman Farm. And it's at, uh, off of 290 and Mushki Road outside of the Houston area. So I think the address is Tom Ball, Texas. You can look them up, Grauman Farm. Well, we might have to do a remote location and uh, go out there and do a show for them one day. All right. A couple other things that I was researching, and I, I always like to look at things that not only affect us locally but globally as well. And you've heard me mention this before, the Fukushima 
Catastrophe, uh, Dave. I'm gonna I'm gonna bump it up a, a little bit. You know, we talked about it casually. I, I believe it to be an uh, an extinction extinction level event at this point. You know, I'm I'm researching. I'm trying to you know wrap my head around it. It is just too much right now, and uh, you know, there's so much contamination now in the water. Your food supply, folks. I would not eat a single thing from the ocean um, unless I grew it myself. But it's not the case. You really got to be selective of what you pick out of the grocery store. Uh, they're not going to pull these things off of the shelf because they feel like it's got mm, something in there that's going to make you sick. Uh, all they're more concerned about is uh, do we have enough money to pay for the uh, potential lawsuits that um, that might come back to us. So with that said, Dave, we've talked about iodine in the past. How important is iodine in your in your diet? Can you recommend something for me? Well, I. It can it can be very critical. Uh, it's important if you're dealing with radiation yeah, stuff for sure. That's why. But but the big thing about iodine on a normal basis is the thyroid and also the heart. And what they found in a lot of elderly women is that upping the dosage of natural good iodine has almost been like a fountain of youth in some cases because the iodine. Uh, goes to that thyroid and to the heart and the thyroid is controlling metabolism and mood and energy and um, you know all the all the natural desires and drives when it comes to sex and all those things and if the adrenals and the thyroid aren't functioning right you're pretty much shut down so iodine is very important uh, we deal with a few products that have iodine one is prolamine iodine which kicks it way up and then we have iodomere, which is to kind of maintain a healthy iodine diet. And then good natural products like good sea salt is going to have some natural iodine. Um, thyroid complex that I use is for the adrenals and the thyroid, and it also has some natural iodine. So very important. Uh, you used to see a lot of salt, maybe still says it's some cheap junk salt that has been stripped of all of its nutrients. They sell them to the refineries. And then they come back and they put in a very poor form of like a synthetic form of iodine and call it iodized, mostly to give it some taste. Mm. And um, they sell a lot of that junk. And what you want is good natural sea salt from a known source. This is something that I've run into. A lot of restaurants, nice restaurants, have regular table salt. And I was at a place, uh, I had a gift certificate from Christmas for my daughter, and we went to this restaurant and I said, you guys have got all this great food in a great restaurant, and you've got junky table salt. Why? And I said, would you please pass that on to the owner and the manager that you need to put good sea salt out here? And so, in a way, you're voting with your wallet, and it's really important to let them know. And most of the time, they, they'd rather put something good out, but they don't even think about it. Mm. That's a good point there. Vote with your wallet. That's about the only power we really have. You know, we uh, we hope that the laws get passed for our protection. But as I research further, it doesn't seem like they're really looking for, out for us uh, first and foremost. But getting back to the gut, now I've been taking the uh, okra pepsin, and I've seen phenomenal results with that. That again is is helping with the uh, the whole digestive process. What do you recommend? Um, you know, you like to give something. And you've seen in my situation before, if I'm experiencing maybe some stomach issues or whatever, I'll take it for a little while and then I'll take, I'll, I'll be off of it. Right now I'm taking it, um, probably about another two weeks. But then after that, is it something that I want to re, 
you know, restart or keep keep going? Or no, if I'm seeing good results and I'm fine, I, I don't need to be on it regularly. Uh, I'm taking an okra pepsin as our product of the week. Well, let's make it the product of the week. Well, I I seem to remember seeing that on the Royal spreadsheet. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, yeah, okra pepsin is one of those things that I recommend maybe two or three times a year. And what it does, it goes in and it will cleanse and heal from in to out. And what it does inside the uh, your intestinal lining, whether it's small intestine, large intestine, colon, whatever you want to call that area, there are little fingers like villi, and this is where the nutrients are absorbed as they pass different points of the body. And if they're all clogged up and not working, then you can't absorb the nutrients no matter how good you eat or how great the stuff you take. And if you've got ulcers and other problems, uh, if you've got... If the, you see these people on TV with uh, uh, different kind of uh, colon problems and intestinal problems, and they want to recommend some terrible drugs, it's usually worse than the problem. But something like okra pepsin will go through and cleanse and heal from in to out and make a wonderful difference. And I've had patients tell me in some cases that they lost a bunch of weight because it cleaned out all that sludge that had built up and that they noticed they just felt better and were a lot healthier. So a couple times, two, three times a year, take a bottle of okra pepsin and uh, finish it and let it clean and heal and repair. Um, if, if you've got uh, a lot of those different diseases that have wonderful fancy names, um, you know, like Crohn's and all that stuff, I always find that this okra pepsin is a really good place to start. Yeah, I knew somebody that uh, they're, kid had uh, what they thought was Crohn's, but it, it seemed like it took a long time for them to diagnose it, and it seemed like the doctor just kept bringing them in for different tests, but there was never any cure for it. Now, I've noticed after taking these, and I've seen it with uh, my wife and, and the children, too, you know, when they take it, boom, you, you feel better after a little while, your body gets back into shape, so to speak, uh, you're in harmony, and um, you're done. Again, that natural element of, well, I only need to take it for this amount of time. You don't need to have a lifetime of taking medications. To me, that uh, that accumulation in your gut, because a lot of those things, they do build up in your body, they can kill you twice as fast as uh, what you're going in to get treatment for. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and you brought up a great point. Like I got a couple of them. They might say, well, it's Crohn's or it's this or it's that. Well, what it is is there's some kind of... Uh, inflammatory thing going on and you can label all kinds of cute names on it but if we don't fix the problem it's not going to make anything any better um so many things have a lot of different names and a lot of times they're almost the same exact thing with somebody's name attached to it that coined that phrase and it's a good way to have a diagnosis that you can write a particular prescription for hey we got a question from pete in houston um, let's see, Mr. Trump mentioned he was going to release some technology that will be helpful, beneficial to humanity. I guess he's referring to the DARPA technology or, because I saw him, what, about three weeks ago when he, when he first uh, took office in, in his, uh, his address, he said he's going to release a lot of this life-saving technology. Have you heard anything about that? that that's something I didn't get a chance to research. Yeah, just a little bit, but one of the big things that he really impressed me about when he was talking about technology was anything that's out there that he thinks could help you, he wants to put back in the hands 
of the everyday person and get it out of the hands of the government. And I think that that's always a good thing. Uh, if, if you can research what might help you and then shop around and, and see who does what, you're only going to benefit. And I think that's what he's looking at right now is if, if there's some technology out of there, we need to let everybody know about it. It shouldn't be kept governmental secret. Yeah, no, they shouldn't be allowed to buy the patents and put it on a shelf. If something that's going to affect everybody, no, they need to let that loose. And I, I'm so glad to hear Trump saying some things. Just hope, um, you know, things go well for him. You know, definitely keep them in your prayers because there are some evil forces that are aligned against him. And everything he's wanting to do, you know, bringing it back to the people, we got some people that do not want that to happen. That's for sure. They'd just much put us in a cage or, I guess, six feet under. Yeah, well, I can definitely tell you from a health point of view, he was the only choice this last election. I, I don't care your politics. I don't care anything that you want to discuss from a health point of view. He was the best thing of anybody that I heard, even back when he was trying to get the nomination of all those other 15 people and then Hillary on top of that. He was the only one that was really talking about good health care that made sense. Uh, everything else was the same old, same old with a different name and a new coat of paint. It does no good for us. And uh, you know what? They've had years of living large. So give it back to the people. And I know I joke about it, but I think everybody that's paid their taxes for the last 10 years, and you've mentioned this too, tying into that, how they gave the money to their friends for the Obamacare thing. If they gave every taxpayer that's paid their taxes for the last 10 years, just give them a million dollars. Just give them a million dollars. How much would that be? Well, you know, what's the population here in the country right now of people that are actually paying their taxes? And I'm not talking about government employees, but you know what I'm saying. If we can get his ear, well, that'd be great. And maybe you ought to make that a segment. Dear Mr. Trump. Well, I, I, it's funny you mentioned that. I had a patient here today who says he's been tweeting Trump periodically. I love it. And uh, I told him, I said, you should keep doing that and ask him, how does the everyday person like us get a sit down with you and let you know what's really going on at this level? So he said he's going to keep it up in a very friendly, professional manner and keep tweeting him and see if finally Trump will respond. And I got a feeling he probably will. You know, that was genius of uh, what he did and the way he pulled that off. You know, mainstream with their bullet points and their teleprompters, you know, they were just arrayed against him. But he, he, he did an end run, and he got him. you know. And it was a little rough at first. I know some of the things maybe weren't as polished as they would be, but I guess we kind of needed that little shock to the system, wouldn't you say? I mean, and oh, now yeah. it's really proven its point. He's got, the, uh, got him running. Yeah, and like I said, when it comes to health care, he was the best guy for us. And I think it's going to really prove out in the long run that your health is going to really benefit from the things he's trying to do. Now, last week, one of the follow-up items, we uh, mentioned that the uh, Mr. Trump had uh, sent the FBI down to the CDC in Atlanta. Doing a little research on that because uh, that, that is critical because they've been sitting on information um, for years now, and they've been letting these uh, their shots just go out the door. But anyway, I saw some controversy. Well, it never happened, and I even checked Snopes, and they were, you know, crazy cat lady over there was like, oh, it didn't happen. But their, their site looked more like a blog. You know, they were just discrediting the original articles. So I took it a step further. I started researching the whistleblower, Dr. William Thompson, to find out a little bit more about that. 
And you know what? Even if they didn't go down there and kick in the doors like they're saying, okay, this Dr. William Thompson has appeared so many times before. He's appeared before Congress. He has all the information. In fact, I'm going to recommend a site because I'm, you know, there's some great documentaries out there, too. There's some people that are just doing fantastic work uh, getting this information to us. But this doctor has been around for a long time, and as far back as 2002, you know, they've been persecuting this guy, and that, that's the case. You know, people that are trying to stand up for the truth get knocked down. But, but stand up. Don't don't give up. I mean, there's still hope out there, and hopefully, again, you know, we're going to see some changes in there. But you know, the, the, do a little research on the doctor because that that's the key point there, and he's the one that holds all the information. He's the gatekeeper, so to speak, and he's the go-between. So, no matter what the mainstream is saying about it, and didn't happen or did happen, it did happen. I saw some of the posts from people that live in that local area, and they said yes, it did happen. All right. Research the doctor though to get a little bit more information, and you can go and you can find uh, the downloadable sources. Uh, one of the th um, websites I want to mention, there's a um, website, <clears throat> a documentary called Vaxxed, from ca uh, Catastrophe to Cover-Up. I'm sorry, from Cover-Up to Catastrophe. Anyway, you can download the CDC Autism MMR files that were released by Dr. Thompson if you want to do that. It's a lot of reading. It's a rather big file, but there's a lot of information out there, and we don't always have the time to get all these things out to you, but uh, we're talking about them, and that's what you need to do with your neighbor. You need to talk about Hell, stranger in the store, you see, hey, you know that load with GMO is going to make you sick over the next, you know, rest of your lifetime. You want to go ahead and uh, try something a little organic? Recommend a good doctor, like I am right here. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't believe in it, and I wouldn't, surely wouldn't be talking about it. But, Dave, a couple closing thoughts before we wrap it up. Well, as always, it, it's very important to support your local uh, farms and ranches and dairies, but also grow your own little garden. Do some natural things yourself, and what a great feeling to pull stuff out of your own garden. Um, you have to remember, ladies and gentlemen, that our purpose here is to help you make good decisions. And so we want to we want to put out some information. If if it's if it's our opinion, we'll tell you. But that opinion is usually based on a lot of years of seeing a lot of different patients and experiences that we both share. And so we're going to tell you the truth to the best of our ability as we understand it, experiences. And it's really important. We really appreciate the opportunity to come into your home, be a part of your health. And um, we, we really love doing this. So it's a, it's a great experience. And uh, Joe is going to have a uh, blog site that That's you're going right. to give yeah. out so, yeah. so people can contact you during the week. It's still in progress, but what we hope to make it, is a central point where, as you know, we talk in the show, and you can find us on the rebroadcast, but somewhere where you can go and you can type your thoughts or get in contact with the doctor. We want to have a mailing list and, you know, notify people. And, again, we're not selling product. We're selling our own experience, if anything. We're just telling you about things that we've experienced. And, uh, you know, I'm not really a health expert, but meeting of the two minds here. Here's a doctor and here's a media guy. So we're going to make the best of this and uh, hopefully get something good out of it. But, again, our motivation is to help you. You're our neighbors. You're our friends. You're our coworkers. You're the people that are out on the front line fighting for freedom and everything that we believe in, and we love you to death, and we just want the best for you. Um, hopefully we can get through to you. Hopefully you'll hear us uh, somewhere where it will benefit you, you know, and something we're talking about is going to be beneficial to you. And we're going to stick to those key points, nothing too serious. Again, politics, hard to stray away from that, but – We'll try to avoid it as best. And may, may God bless all of you with health and happiness. And try not to be so busy worrying about today 
I mean, tomorrow that you forget to live today. You might not make it to tomorrow if you keep it up. Anyway, we hope you've enjoyed tonight's uh, broadcast, Dr. Krupa's Natural Health Hour on the American Voice Radio Network. We just love doing what we do, folks, and our motivation is to get the word to the people because there's hope out there, and there's always solution to a problem that you might have. Dr. Dave, thank you so much for your time. Again, I appreciate it. I'm going to relinquish the keys and uh, park the bus. Uh, uh, stretch the seat's kind of uncomfortable, but that's okay. Good good job, Joe. And ladies and gentlemen, please give us your feedback on our new format. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. I had a lot of fun, and uh, thanks to Frank and Doc Green and Steve O'Brien and Alan Crutcher. And, Joe, you did a fabulous job. Thank oh, you very much. Thanks, Davey. I appreciate that. But no, all kidding aside, wrapping it up, folks, thanks again. You're listening to Krupa's Natural News Hour on the American Voice Radio Network. Please support your uh, our sponsors and give those little people a chance because they're the ones that are really fighting for you, all right? Seems the love I've known has always been the most destructive kind. Guess that's why now... I feel so old before my time. Yesterday, when I was young, the taste of life was sweet as rain upon my tongue. I teased at life as if it were a foolish game. The way the evening breeze may tease a candle flame. The thousand dreams I dreamed, the splendid things I planned, I always built to last on weakened, shifting sand. I live by night and shun the naked light of day, and only now I see how the years ran away. Yesterday. The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. You just defended yourself with a gun. The police are called, and you're potentially involved in a homicide, but it was self-defense. At this point, you are not in your right mind. No one ever is when they are in fear for their life and defend themselves. Anything you say can and will be used in a court of law, both civilly and criminally. Fortunately, you have selfdefensefund.com. We are the National Association for Legal Gun Defense, and we protect our members nationally in all 50 states up to $1 million per incident per member. Let us do the talking for you and visit selfdefensefund.com. Any weapon, any state, any time. 
prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Good evening, and welcome to America Betrayed. My name is John Clark, and we're listening to us on AVR, American Voice Radio Network, where you're always going to hear the truth. Not only my show, but every show on this uh, network. 
If you want to read about the truth, you go to nationalwritersyndicate.com. That's www.nationalwritersyndicate.com. You'll also see a preview of each week's show on there a few days uh, ahead of time. Again, nationalwritersyndicate.com, AVR, the American Voice Radio Network. Uh, check them both out. we got a busy show tonight because uh, a lot of things happening. If you've been watching... Uh, uh, the news uh, with uh, Trump and everything. Uh, there's, uh, we're we're in a war. We have been in a war for a long time. Uh, we are at war with uh, uh, the Muslim world, which uh, people, some people think, seem to think we're not. They want to keep bringing in more and more uh, Muslims. Uh, I I am totally against it. But I've got a panel tonight. A couple on the first half hour of the show. A couple on the second half hour of the show. We're going to be asking that question. Should Muslims be allowed to uh, come into the United States or be banned? That's uh, the first question. And uh, the panel uh, tonight is uh, Orlean Curler. Orlean is uh, uh, president, I think still president, of uh, California uh, uh, Eagle Forum. Uh, she's been a friend for many, many years, uh, quite a patriot. Uh, she's also an authority on the drought situation in, in California. Uh, and we're also going to have Mr. X uh, on the show. He's also an authority on, on the drought situation and things happening in Mexico. But right now, I, I want to get to these questions. And also, uh, my co-host is uh, Frank Steffen, who has a great show on this uh, network. You might want to check it out. Uh, just go to uh, theamericanvoice.com and you uh, see the schedule on there for his, his show. And if you'd like to call in tonight, which some of you may want to, if uh, any liberals are listening, I, I know they'll want to, 800-932-1980. Uh, I do enjoy obscene phone calls, so, uh, you know, give a call in. Uh, <clears throat> the first question, like I said, uh, should Muslims be banned? Uh, I'd like to go to Arlene first. Arlene, 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 good evening. Good evening, John. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, my husband and I recently returned from a trip to Germany with two of our children, and we were so shocked to see the changes that have taken place there since all of these millions of Muslims have been allowed in. My husband grew up in Germany, and in one week's time that we were there, there were four acts of terrorism, and these were done by refugees. They say that 70% of the young men coming in are the people coming in are really young men, military age. You don't see very many women with little children. And as soon as they arrive in their designated camps, 50 of them, 50% of them disappear, like they've already been told, given their marching orders, where they're supposed to go. And they think that they're going to various mosques where they're being trained to be uh, jihadist terrorists. And... I think it is a terrible, scary situation. A, a devout Muslim truly believes that their job is to kill the infidel, and they believe that whatever new nation they're going to, they are not supposed to obey the laws of the land, that Sierra law is primary to them, and they're only to respect that law, and that's what we've seen in Germany. So I totally agree with what President Trump has done we need to have a ban on these Muslims coming in. We don't need any more, and their own countries, if they just had a, a better form of government, they would be just fine. The other nations that are full of, of Islam, they won't take 
these refugees in either. They probably understand what's going to happen to them. So that, that's my answer. I think it's great that we have this ban, and we need to continue it. Okay, well, they're denying that it is a ban because they're afraid to uh, ignite all these uh, demonstrations. Uh, I, it, it's not enough. Uh, I think I myself think they should be banned completely from all Western uh, countries because uh, they just can't coexist. Uh, Mr. X, what's your feelings on the subject? Hello, everybody. Um, well, all I can tell you is the stuff that I'm living with all the time. As you know, I, I go across the border and I do funny things for in behalf of the American people and gathering information and stuff I've been doing for over 30 years. Um, one thing that I can tell you, one of the stories is that we happened to come across a, a group of people maybe about six or seven years ago that were in the other side of Rosarito on the south side of the town, which some of you may have heard of that town before. But... Um, I went over there, and um, I was with uh, an uh, Iraqi person that I took along with me from the United States, an American citizen, and I said, can you please come with me? And we went down, and we talked, you know, to some people, and he went down, and he started talking to them, and he said to me, these are bad people. So we came back across the border, and we contacted the proper authorities, at which time I had some really trusted people within uh, the U.S. government. And they told me that they could do nothing about it. And um, so I ended up contacting the Mexican authorities. And, and you know what? Those people disappeared. There's, there's um, Everybody's scared of them people. Everybody is afraid of – I don't know if it's totally just the Muslim people themselves, but I know that there's definitely some really bad radical people within that group that I'm, I'm personally very afraid of. Uh, because they're right next to my community, a, a great gathering that's happened uh, in the city of El Cajon in, in uh, San Diego, where, um, you know, the people are wearing clothing and stuff that's not to our Native American culture. They're wearing their, you know, turbans and, and things. Women are wearing things over their heads and stuff. You know, I don't know about this stuff. I don't really understand why they're doing that, but I know that everybody tries to coexist with them. But it is scary. You see a lot of stores that have the, the lettering of, of the Arabic language. I don't know if they're good people, bad people, or anything, but I know that here right by the border, there for a time this place was an open sif, and a lot of people came through, and it's very scary. I happen to agree with uh, President Trump's idea that um, at least put a tremendous stop on this until we know who in the heck is coming into our country. And... You know, I don't believe that they have the computer systems and who's been in jail or out of jail or criminals or whatever. So, you know, the scrutiny is, shouldn't be a quick thing or a fast thing or somebody else's opinion, because those of us that are living it here in the United States are concerned. At any moment, uh, you know, it, it, uh, things may erupt. It may be a coordinated thing to where all of a sudden, all the gas stations and stuff that that the people that are Arabic descent. I know that sounds racist and prejudiced, but so be it. You know, a lot of them have their gas stations and their liquor stores and all this. Well, I imagine them putting dynamite into their gas stations and at one time blowing everything up. You know, it's scary. I wow. don't know what to think. They're here. It's the reality of the situation. Um, and one other thing that I think would be of interest to, to the people... Uh, right now, as I sit out here, I see airplanes flying over me, and I'm kind of close to a road up on the side of a hill. 
because this is where I'm at, way out in the boonies. But I'm within, right now I'd say within four miles of the border, and between me and the border there is nothing. It's just open land. I brought you out here, John, and you remember that it was just an open hill to my south. And uh, for us here, we envision the possibility of waves of people coming over at one time or another. And we don't know who these people are. It's not the nice Mexican people, the farmer that we're concerned about. We're concerned about some people that are coming. They're called OTMs, other than Mexican people. Right. And those well, thank are the you. ones that we're worried about. Thank you, Mr. X. Uh, uh, Frank, Frank Stephan, uh, what's your feelings? Well, I'm I'm for, you know, personally, I'm for ban on Islam in this country. I'm for shutting the border and saying, look, nobody's coming across until we figure out what's going on around here. You know, and that's not a permanent thing. But we can't go back to what we had, which is just, hey, anybody, anytime, from anywhere, it doesn't matter. Because it's just, and we are not experiencing the full result of this as, say, France is or Germany is. Those people are really having a bad time right now, and we're not hearing the half of it. But I think from a legal perspective and from a governmental constitutional perspective, we have to redefine some things before we start, you know, really going full-fledged with this. And one of the main things to determine is... Is Islam even a religion, or is it a political activity? Because, I mean, they have Sharia law, that's obviously political. They have the caliphate, which is another political thing. I mean, yeah, it's based on the Quran, but they use the Quran for a religion and a political thing. And it's inconsistent with the Constitution, even though the Constitution says, well, you know, we, uh, you can't, Congress can't make any law respecting any religion. All right, and Donald Trump didn't do that. He didn't say we're banning Muslims. He said we're banning travel from these particular terrorist countries. And, I mean, it's not so unreasonable. Okay, five of the seven countries, we're, we're in the process of bombing right now. So, I mean, obviously these are not our friends, or unless we're crazy and we bomb our friends. So why wouldn't you ban travel from places that you are in an act of war against i mean it's just insane to think anything different and you know on the southern border part obviously something has to be done now there's you know trump has already said you're going to pay for the wall and there's lots of different ways that you know they can make that happen but mexico has now reiterated by saying oh yeah well uh you know if this goes the way we don't like we're going to let our drug cartels loose on you well, to me, you know, that right there is a threat of war. And, and Trump, I think, responded, and he should again forcefully say, well, listen, tell you what, that one one of those guys comes across the border and we start carpet bombing, you know, Mexico. So you better think twice about that because I don't think as bad as these drug cartels are, I don't think they have a bunch of Apache helicopters. I don't think they have that many warthogs. You know, I don't think they have that many infantry divisions. Uh, I just don't think they do very well in a slugfest. So, you know, I, I mean, there's a lot of rhetoric going around. But we have to be careful because we do have laws. We are a nation that does accept immigrants. But we really got to start saying, okay, well, look, you know what? The rest of the world accepts immigrants, too. And they do so on the basis of do we need 
any skills you have. If we don't, sorry, you know, try again next month or next year or whenever. Maybe we will need your, your skills then. But, you know, we have to put the what is the betterment. I mean, what else is the federal government there for except to put America first? Not individual You're, Americans, but the country, the nation. I mean, that's what they're there for. You're right, uh, Frank. Uh, I'm glad uh, you uh, voice your opinions. My opinion is that uh, all Muslims should be banned completely because it just does not jive with Western uh, civilization. Because in the Koran, uh, we are all infidels to be either converted or killed. There is no in-between. So they can kiss my you-know-what and go back where they came from. <clears throat> now, the other thing, a uh, question I have for our people is um, there are approximately 60 to 70 Democrats in the Democratic Party in Congress who are members of the Communist Party. I think that they should be labeled, and what they're doing right now to Trump and this country, putting this country in, in danger, boycotting uh, all his uh, 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 positions, uh, they should be labeled as a terrorist organization. Um, and if you'd like to call in, the toll-free number is 800-932-1980. Again, 800-932-1980. But, again, I think we should ban all Muslims, period, completely. Well, uh, John, now what about, you know, I, I mean, the Democrats are a clear and present danger, and people can see that. But what about the Republicans like Murkowski from Alaska or uh, what's-her-name from Maine up there that are refusing to, uh, you know, go along yeah. with uh, Trump's pick for education secretary. Well, I mean, these aren't even real Republicans. Maybe the Republican no, Party needs to start vetting their own people. Yeah, well, there's rhinos. Uh, we'll get to that later about the rhinos in the party, Graham and uh, McCain and a few others. But uh, I'd like to get Orlean's uh, view on that. Orlean, how do you feel about that if, if they labeled uh, the Democratic Party as a terrorist organization? I think you probably are right on, because I, I know there are at least 60 or 70, as you mentioned, who are very proud of the fact that they, well, they call themselves progressives, and they belong to the Progressive Caucus, but that's just another name for a communist, and the way they act, the way they vote, that's exactly who they are. Uh, I'm sure they wouldn't like to be labeled as a terrorist organization, <laughs> but that's what communism really is all about. That's why communists and Muslims work so well together. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the younger generation, uh, they all they hear are the free stuff that they're going to get, and that's what the communists do. But they don't realize that communism is the highest form of slavery. Uh, but uh, they've all been dumbed down to the degree that they don't have a clue. Uh, Mr. X, what's your feeling on that about the Democratic Party? Well, let me tell you something. I, as you know, I'm, I'm doing some things over here in the political world, and um I don't trust either party. Sorry. I don't trust the Republicans, and I don't trust the Democrats. I just believe that everywhere I look and every which direction, you know, I'm not speaking of any particular person or anything like that, but everywhere I turn around, I see corruption. Everybody's into the money thing, and uh, a lot of things that should be good for our country are being put aside. I think our educational process is really messed up, and I think what it comes down to is the basis of everything has to do with the way we're educating our kids in school. We're not teaching our kids, you know, the values and the, the you know, the Pledge of Allegiance to include God in our country and, and all the wonderful things that our country represents and has been forever, as far as I can remember. 
And right, right now, these, these people are, are, are they're decaying. They're destroying our moral values, our ethics, our everything. My, I got a feeling that my generation at my age is probably going to be the last one that even believes in God anymore. You know, right. it's, it's almost like a cussing word to say, I believe in God. Yeah, and Mr. I, X. I don't uh, understand it. Yeah, we, we know that uh, they're both totally corrupt. My concern is uh, the Communist Party. Um, uh, it's all a criminal enterprise, all of Congress. That's all it is. I worked in Congress for a number of years as a congressional liaison, and, and uh, I, I saw how bad it was then, but I didn't realize how bad until Trump started exposing not only the ones in our government, but all over the world. They're popping up like uh, rats everywhere. I, I don't envy uh, Trump at all because he's— going against something that they've been working at for 60 to 70 years. Uh, one other question, because uh, we're going to be coming up on the break here uh, pretty soon. Uh, would you support uh, Trump if Hillary and Obama were arrested for treason? Um, go ahead, Arlene. Yes, definitely. I think Hillary has been doing treasonous acts for a long, long time, and certainly Obama as well. I just uh, I can't believe that they've gotten away with what they have gotten away with as as long as they have. But I'm sorry to say I don't think Trump will do anything like that. It appeared that things were going to be coming out in the light of all the treasonous acts of Hillary by the FBI, but that kind of went under the water and washed away. So I don't know, but I certainly would support him. I think both of them need to be able to be accountable for all the terrible acts of treason they have committed. Exactly. Uh, we're only going to have a few minutes, so um, uh, i like a, a yes or no uh, answer on this because we can get into further detail on another show. But both of you are experts in the, in the drought situation, uh, Orlean primarily. In Northern California, you're in Northern California, but you read a, wrote a great book about the detailing of, of the of uh, the drought. But with all the rain and everything, I want want you answer: Is the drought over? I just was uh, checking the latest statistics, and it's so interesting how they keep trying to weasel out of this. As far as I'm concerned, the drought is definitely over. My part of California, we have had 180 percent of uh, of precipitation from what we had had before and what they've been saying from some of these statistics, it is just amazing the amount of uh, percentage. They say the northern Sierra and San Joaquin Mountains have had 52 inches. It's been the wettest year on record, even surpassing 1982, 1983. And yet our, our governor is saying that the, the drought is only 40% over. So they're okay. not going to let this drought go away. As I say in my book, California's water crisis, do you smell a fish? They love a good crisis, and they've been able to use this crisis to put amazing uh, fees and fines and restrictions on people, and they don't want to let that go away. So uh, Mr. X, uh, quick, Mr. X, a quick answer from you, because we are coming up on break at the end of this half hour. Uh, how about you? What do you say? I say that we've had a lot of rain. Some of our lakes have gone up. Some of them have not. Some of them have changed at all. Um, the heck over. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm out here on the side of a hill up here, and I hit the thing. Somebody's no, breaking into your car. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, this, you, would, probably you a, wouldn't believe you know, what I'm Mexican. To. Um, the, the, the fact is, is that the drought, it has been raining. It rained, what, for a month? Uh, we've been out of the rain for a lot of years. Uh, the water did run down our streams and stuff, but I believe the aquifer is still as empty as it ever was. And uh, maybe it's gone up a little bit. I mean, I don't know who to believe. Do I trust my government? No. Okay. Well, thank you, Mr. Well, I've got a question for both of you uh, because I have Frank. no idea. Has are is California still releasing water out of your reservoirs into the ocean, or are they letting them fill up from all this rain? They're, Frank, still, they're still sending water to the San Francisco Bay to save this the silly little Delta smelt instead of sending it to the Central Valley where it's supposed to be going. They'll go on doing that forever because these wacky environmentalists they they want that. Part of the plan is to have a million acres of the Central Valley not no longer in production. And okay, well, thank you, uh, Arlene. I, I'd like hate to cut everybody off, but uh, coming up on the end here, I want to get uh, some songs in tonight that I'm playing uh, tonight to try to soothe the savage beast uh, out there, the liberals. Uh, I'm hoping it will. That's a little take. Again, the toll-free number is 800-932-1980. Uh, this is uh, uh, AVR, American Voice Radio Network, uh, America Betrayed, John Clark. Don't forget, go to nationalwritersyndicate.com. Check it out. Uh, the music I'm playing, I'm hoping, will uh, calm everybody down. It's a little uh, different from what I usually play. Mr. X, thank you very much. I know you're going to be listening to the second half in Orlean. Uh, uh, God bless you. You're a great patriot. You've been there for many years working on this. and. I hope it works out with the uh, Eagle Forum. Okay. Thank you, John. Appreciate being on your show. Oh, you're welcome. Here's the music. Hope you enjoy it.
Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
Hello, this is John Clark on American Betrayed on American Voice Radio Network. Now, tonight uh, we have a very busy night. The first half hour, uh, I had two other people on. Uh, we were talking about what is going on uh, today in our government and the world. And if you'd like to call in, the toll-free number is 800-932-1980. Uh, this is it. If you like to uh, hear the truth, always come to AVR Radio. And if you want to read about the truth, go to nationalwritersyndicate.com. That's www.nationalwritersyndicate.com. And you'll see a preview of the show each week before, uh, a few days before. Uh, tonight, uh, we're, I've got questions for our, uh, well, my co-host, uh, Rattlesnake Ray. In fact, uh, uh, we probably should go down to the border. He's uh, down at the Arizona border, right close to it. Let's see, go down and see what's happening with Ray first. Bring him up. Ray, uh, I thought camels would be coming across the border now, not uh, these uh, mice, or what are they? They're, they're just little, there's like a little Mexican mice that are coming across, John. I was hoping uh, it was your radio station, John, because I was kind of wondering when we were, we were here to tell the truth, I was kind of wondering about that metrosexual type of uh, bumper music you were playing while I was waiting for you. Now, What's well, going well, on, John? Well, Frank, Frank wanted to know if I was in a hospice. I thought maybe I was at a snowflake meeting. I said, said, said gee, I would, if I listen to that for another half an hour, I might start thinking I'm going gay. But anyway. anyway. <laughs> what do you mean starting? Yeah. <laughs> remember we used to play, remember that movie uh, about the cowboy? Remember what was Broken Saddles or something like that? Yeah, I've never yeah. seen that. I think that was another one of Hollywood's uh, attempts to try to discredit any type of uh, manlyhood or humanity left in uh, the American male. But, uh, yeah, John, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting down here in the Mexican border anyway with uh, a lot of uh, oh activity going on uh, with the wall down here now. They're really uh, jumping into it. looks like they, they're they really getting serious on building something finally. Yeah. All right. We, tonight, I want to get into some questions. We have Paul from uh, New York City. He's a security expert. And I've got some questions for both of you uh, that I asked our panel uh, the first uh, half hour of the show, uh, what is going on today. Uh, the first question is, uh, do you think all Muslims should be banned from America? Uh, that's the first question. And uh, the second question would be, uh, uh, since there are approximately 70 Democrats in the Communist Party in Congress, uh, I think they should be deemed a terrorist organization. So, uh, first off, let's go to Paul first. And, Paul, uh, good evening. Uh, good evening, John. How are you doing? Good. So, what's your feelings about having Muslims banned completely from uh, America? In fact, I think all, all Western countries. Well, it's interesting you raise that question, John, because you often in the media hear about the mainstream media or the lamestream media how uh, the majority of Muslims are moderate. Uh, I don't really look at it necessarily as a religious issue, more of a sort of a geo-social political type of uh, paradigm. And in a Pew Research poll back two or three years ago, out of they estimate about 1.3 billion Muslims are on the planet, and there was a study done to go into countries, Muslim countries, and the question that was posed was, do you believe that Sharia law should be the predominant law of the land? 
And, John, the results were staggering. 800 to 900 million uh, Muslims uh, are estimated in the poll uh, to believe that Sharia law, not civil law, Sharia law, uh, should be the prevailing predominant controlling law of the land. Now, if you believe the, the Pew Research uh, Center poll, which the Pew Research Center does excellent work, um, that's alarming. And based upon that poll, certainly I'm not real good at math, but if you take a look at 800 or 900 million ascribing to that belief, uh, that adamant belief out of 1.3 billion Muslims, that's a very concerning and alarming uh, statistic or figure or estimate uh, that, that has arisen out of this simple question. And if you follow that to your question tonight, uh, it is not out of the realm, the ordinary realm, to say that perhaps one should take a look at whether or not um, Muslims uh, should be restricted from freely entering uh, westernized uh, cultures at which they are at war. Uh, and if they're not at war overtly, right. meaning... How, uh, even, uh, well, and Turkey uh, keeps saying, why do you call them moderate? There is no such thing as a moderate Muslim. I'm going to go to no. Ray. Ray, how do, you, how do you feel about that, banning Muslims from America? Oh, I, not only do I think the uh, they ought to be banned, but I think the ones that are in the country right now who are uh, basically insurgents who... Uh, and don't believe have the best interest in this country, I think they ought to all be deported at the point of a gun or the, the toe of your boot, no matter uh, how. Get them out of the country. I, I, they, what Paul was saying, um, when you had a, one of our very, very uh, educated guests on Ibn Chul al-Razuli, who is a expert who at one time was a Muslim, flat out says that, if you are a Muslim, you cannot live in a democratic or a society, a Christian society. So I definitely say that they should be banned. They shouldn't be allowed in this country. Let them stay the hell over in the, the country as they are and kill each other over there, because I don't believe any one of them wants to come to the United States of America and assimilate into our country and live with us. I do think that they uh, they want to subjugate us, as they say in their uh, Quran and their their radical ideology, which is not a religion. Yeah, keep them exactly. out, definitely. Now, the other question was, uh, since there are approximately 70 uh, members of Congress in the Democratic Party who are members of the uh, Communist Party, Socialist Party, that's still the Communist Party, uh, don't you think that, or do you think it would be wise to label the Democratic Party as a um, terrorist organization? How about you? What do you say, Paul? I go, I go a step further. It's not about labels. It's about actions and the actions of many of these Democratic uh, elected officials. I call them elected things. Uh, rise to the level of sedition. They should be tried, imprisoned, uh, and that's the way it is. It goes beyond speech. These people are making decisions that are not in the best interest of what is in the best interest of this country. And as such, the oath that they swear to uphold as elected representatives of this country uh, number one and first and foremost, to protect the United States, uh, they're violating that oath. And by doing so, their actions are tantamount to treason. They should be charged with sedition. They should be tried, convicted, and put in prison. Uh, no more tiptoeing through the tulips anymore. These people are dangerous. Uh, they make decisions predicated on what allows them to maintain their office as opposed to what is in the greater good uh, of the republic. And so I believe that they should be charged uh, with treason, sedition, tried, 
uh, and incarcerated. Uh, if any of you liberals out there listening you'd like to call in, I really enjoy obscene phone calls, uh, 800-932-1980 if you'd like to call in. Uh, don't worry, we won't hang up. I don't think uh, my producer hang up on you. But also, uh, Frank Steffen, what's your feeling on that about the Democratic Party? <laughs> well, yeah, I you know I, I I think they should be seriously investigated. I think if they were seriously investigated, a lot of serious crimes would be uncovered, and sure, they should be prosecuted for that. And if you, what is the ruling, you know, how do they determine what a terrorist group is? I mean, it's not just if you have a group and, and there is a terrorist in your group. It's if your group itself, you know, its guidelines and such are terroristic and encourage that sort of thing. And if that's found in the Democratic Party, which I believe it would be, then they should be listed as that and, and, and just, uh, you know, demolished said no you can't be a party anymore you can all go start a new party but this party's over exactly uh i feel that uh they're stalling with uh getting the attorney general and i think uh, uh looks like trump is going to do the nuclear to get his uh, supreme court pick and because i think possibly uh he may be going after obama and uh, hillary at one point and try them from treason which I hope. I mean, that, that's uh, another thing. Now, I just heard, I don't know how true this is yet. I haven't been able to check it, but uh, he signed a bill to cut off all welfare to illegal aliens. Uh, I'm going to check on that and maybe uh, next. Well, we should know something by next week, but that's something that came across a, a pretty good thing. Now, uh, do you how even you... think, John, do you even think most Americans realize that illegal aliens are receiving welfare benefits? Yeah, well, I think Paul does. Paul, how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, just look at the article. One of the last acts of the, uh, or one of the last misdeeds of the Obama administration was the $623 billion, which was transferred out of the Veterans Administration uh, into a fund uh, to um, subsidize, support, uh, and benefit refugees coming into this country. Now, there's nothing more unconscionable than uh, taking money from people who have entered into a contract to volunteer, put their life on the line, in many instances do uh, surrender their lives and certainly come back uh, under all sorts of emotional distress, uh, loss of limbs, et cetera, et cetera. And money that was slated uh, for an administration uh, which has been anything but uh, good to our veterans gets uh, redistributed uh, to people coming to this country under the guise that We've got to do our share. I'm not interested in doing our share. Charity starts at home. We need to take care of the people in this country first and foremost and address the problems that we have before we can be so concerned about everybody else's problem in the world. Uh, if you look at Europe, for example, Europe is on fire. We only get some of the stories out of there. I've got people positioned in Sweden, um, uh, the, the Netherlands, uh, obviously Germany and France. It's obvious. But Sweden is a country that basically is a raging forest fire. Uh, it is a country that does not have a police force that is capable of dealing with this scourge uh, that has been allowed to come into its country. And the press has done everything to suppress any type of negative information for fear of panic. And meanwhile, there are rapes, there's pillaging, uh, there's lawlessness, the likes of which uh, resembles a forest fire. Uh, in areas of the country that we often see when the weather gets really, really dry. 
I know uh, Ray. I, you know Ray's a, a real cowboy, not one of these cowboy uh, movie cowboys. But uh, he's always said, "Why don't they start and come down uh, to his territory down there and try to start the same stuff like the uh, the Black Lives Movement and all that crap?" How, how do you feel about that, Ray? If the Muslims came down and built a mosque and start uh, telling you, you we don't like pigs. Yeah, things wouldn't work out too well at all for him, John. Especially now that we've got the uh, Muslim of chief, the Muslim in chief, uh, on vacation playing golf 365 days a year with some of one of his uh, queer buddies over in uh, some other island or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, the American people, you know, aren't getting set up. They've been set up. They've had it for the longest time. And these people, these uh, illegal aliens that are coming into this country are coming in here, they should be called illegal insurgents. They're coming in here to try to change the basic political, cultural, and social structure of the United States, which is also something that if these uh, crap-for-brain liberals that ever uh, listened to what Obama said about fundamentally changing the United States. Now, the United States was working just fine if we will adhere to the Constitution, and as well, long as we have a president in here right now who will rule by the rule of law, the books that are on, the laws that are on the books, uh, we shouldn't be having the problems that we have been having right now. But I do believe it's all a part of the plan. The big uh, globalists, George Soros, uh, Bush family, Clinton's all, they're all in there slapping each other's backs and whatnot. That us up. Well, they are. Their, their ultimate goal is to get rid of the... Uh, people who made this country the great country that it is, the original founders. Well, they, the they are invaders. Uh, I got involved with uh, illegal immigration about 25 years ago because I felt at one point uh, they would flood California with all these illegal Mexicans and want to succeed from the United States. Well, that's exactly what's happening. They're working to get 600,000 signatures to succeed from the United States. Uh, I wish them all the best of luck, but if I was Trump, I would send in military troops and just t take over that uh, California government because it's the Chinese. See, now we've got to what's going on, John, the, the breeder program uh, Obama figured in, and this is part of the Democrats' plan where you said they should be listed as a terrorist organization. It's it's what they knew would go right along, uh, people coming up here to work, right? Well, they come up here to work, and then all of a sudden they're bringing up their wives and girlfriends in, three- and four-year-old uh one-year-old babies? What are the one-year-old babies going to be doing? Picking watermelons and uh, chili uh, peppers in Michigan in the middle of winter? Yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's absolutely what they did then was to get them in this country right now, and their hopes right now is to start the breeder program because they've got enough of them in the country, and uh, the age of consent in Mexico is 12 years old. If you can run that through your mind a couple times. 12 years old. Oh, my God. Yeah, the, uh, I mean, the, you know, almost, 12 years old. At 15, they'll have three kids. You know, like I've said before, Sodom and Gomorrah, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah really thought the homosexuality was normal also. Well, the ashes are right alongside the Dead Sea, if you want to take a look what happens. Uh, we're coming up on the end of the show, guys. Uh, really appreciate you being on. Uh, Paul, do you have any uh, website or anything that you'd like to uh, give out? Uh, AAA. Uh, or actually, the the, yeah, the the website is AAA, uh, www.AAAPrivateInvestigations.com. Uh, okay. 
Yeah, don't forget to tune in to uh, Frank Steffen's show here on uh, National Writers Syndicate. Uh, not, I'm National Writers Syndicate. That's where you want to go to read about the truth. But uh, American Voice Radio, that's uh, theamericanvoice.com. That's AVR. And, again, um, you know, we've got to really stick together, and he's got to get tougher. We've got to expel all these Muslims because they follow, if they follow the Koran. Uh, they only have uh, two choices, either convert the infidel or kill them. There is no other choice. So I say get their asses out of here and get them back to their pig pens where they belong. And uh, this song that uh, we're going to end with uh, it was one of my uh, guests last week, uh, along with my friend uh, Randy Forrester from Eddie Money. Uh, this is uh, uh, from Starship, uh, the Donnie Baldwin on drums. Uh, I'm going to have him on again as guest, but... Uh, I hope you enjoy uh, uh, the song, and uh, see you next week.
The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. I'm Alfred Adisk, and this is Financial Survival for Wednesday night on the third day of February, year of our Lord, 2016. <clears throat> we will start the festivities with a market report. I'll make a few comments, and James Corbett is scheduled to join us from Japan at the beginning of the second segment of the program. Gold was up $13.40 today to $1,143.40 per ounce. <laughs> Another good day for gold. We seem to be having two or three good days for gold every week for the last <clears throat> several weeks. We have a couple days down, then, uh, but we are you know, we're higher. We're running. It's uh, it's certainly encouraging to see what's happened in the since. Since the first of the year, silver is up 39 cents. Pretty good jump for silver. That's 2.7 uh, percent uh, to $14.78 per ounce. Platinum is up 24 bucks to $883 an ounce. Palladium is up 18 bucks to $512 an ounce. <clears throat> U.S. dollar index was down today about a point and a half. I have the current 
number is 97.34, and it's been down another 4% on the on the or not four percent but another but point zero four on the overnight market. Dow Jones is up 183 points today to sixteen thousand three hundred thirty seven. Nasdaq is down twelve to four thousand five hundred and four. New York Stock Exchange is up eighty one points to nine thousand four hundred and ninety five. <clears throat> Crude oil had a good day today. It was up about a buck seventy. It's currently up thirty-three cents in the overnight market, and it's at thirty-two dollars and sixty-one cents per barrel. And it's you can't say for sure that the bottom is in for crude oil, but it does kind of look like crude oil has found a bottom price, and it's in the vicinity of thirty-one thirty-one dollars. I'd say right at the moment. Uh, you may see it drop down to 30 or 29 even, but it seems to be hovering 30, 31, 32. Um, it's not going to 20. It's not going to 10. Some people predicted that. And at least for the moment, those predictions don't appear to be valid. <clears throat> what else do we have for today? Here's, here's a story that's interesting to me. This is from the Associated Press. And the headline is, China Company Accused of Fleecing Investors of $7.6 Billion. Now, this is an interesting story, even though it's taking place in China, because I think there's some lessons to be learned from this story. It says, police arrested the maverick founder of China's largest online finance business on suspicion of fleecing 900,000 investors of $7.6 billion. That's an average of $8,400 per investor, all right, which is pretty good money in China. Um, and what could be the biggest financial fraud in Chinese history? And when they say the biggest financial fraud in Chinese history, they mean so far. Okay. Uh, if the perpetrators avoid doing time in a Chinese prison, given their background and experience in fleecing the public, they could probably get jobs as vice presidents on Wall Street or maybe even be elected to the U.S. Congress. But uh, that's just my opinion. Um little snide opinion to uh, uh, just kind of denigrate Wall Street and Congress. State media outlets reported the arrest of Ding Ning and 20 of his employees late Sunday. State broadcaster CCTV aired purported confessions from two former employees at Izubao. Uh, this is the name of the firm that rose from obscurity to become China's largest online financing platform in the span of about 18 months. That implies that this guy was able to hustle basically $7.6 billion, at least the vast majority of it, in 18 months. Zubao uh, was the most spectacular player in a booming online investment industry that the Chinese authorities had been struggling to regulate. Firms, regu firms ranging from established Internet companies such as Alibaba to virtually unknown upstarts have flooded into the business, 
promising to pay higher returns than those of state-run banks, which often offer interest rates that are below inflation, which incidentally is what the United States government does or what the Federal Reserve does with, the, with its zero interest rate policy. And now up to uh, <clears throat> point, uh, 0.25 to you know, to half a percent, quarter of a percent to a half a percent now. But even, we're not, they're not matching inflation in this country. We're doing the same thing in many regards as they're doing in China. And that's part of the lesson here. Yuzabal um, promised investors that borrowers would pay back loans at interest rates between 9% and 14.6%. Yeah. Well, who could resist a deal such a deal, you know? But 95% of those borrowers were fictional entities created by Izubel, a former company executive told investigators. <sighs> the, the borrowers that were allegedly borrowing money and probably issuing testimonials that said they were getting between uh, 9 and 14.6% interest uh, on, their, on their loans, they're fictional. Right? Behind the firm's rise was 34-year-old Ding Ning, uh, who dropped out of school at age 17 to work in his mother's hardware factory, where he first gained experience running online sales, uh, according to media reports. Now, where's the lesson in this? We've got a 34-year-old kid who's running a business has gone from nowhere in 18 months to where it has, people have loaned it, $7.6 billion. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with it is that kids are too glandular. You understand? They have things in mind other than running a business. And they don't have enough experience to understand that you can do something foolish that can get you into a lot of trouble if you're not careful. You get that youthful exuberance and arrogance, and next thing you know, you've got this 34-year-old Ding Ning, and uh, he thinks he's running the world. And in fact, he's just headed for disaster. The article continues. It says, with no technical or financial training, Ding launched Yuzubao in July of 2014 and opened multiple marketing offices across China. Now, sounds like a great success story. Reminds me of the Horatio Alger story in this country, except, of course, Horatio didn't, didn't involve himself in the lies, fraud, and corruption. But other than that, you know, Ding Ning was the Horatio Alger in China. Um, Ding's exact, ex, ex, extravagant lifestyle included gifts that he lavished on his business partner, partner including a $20 million villa in Singapore and a an $1.8 million pink diamond ring. The truth is that it's a fraud. It's a typical Ponzi scheme, Zhang, the associate, said in her aired confession. Thus, what we're talking about, he was just running a Ponzi scheme. And in that regard, what he was doing was very much like Social Security in this country. But Ding Ning was bad because his was a private Ponzi scheme. See, 
Well, Social Security is good because it's a government-run Ponzi scheme. The article continues, despite vast sums cited in the case, Yuzubao represented just a sliver of China's shadow banking industry, estimated to be worth $1.5 trillion. As of the end of uh, <laughs> independent economists and party officials alike have warned the danger of unchecked private lending and the political spillover a large-scale collapse. Uh, Fu Wingang, researcher at the Shanghai Institute for Finance and Law, said difficulty obtaining financing in a state-dominated banking system has for decades driven Chinese citizens into underground borrowing and lending, which gave rise to countless Ponzi schemes. We also have a state-run banking system, don't we? Government run, they'll tell the banks what to do. And I'm not necessarily saying that's by itself, it's not necessarily bad. But the government keeps tinkering with it. And they keep running, trying to run the banking system, the American government, for the benefit of the politicians, for the political interests of the government, rather than conventional banking wisdom. And in doing so, our government is fooling with the banking system, much the same as this 30 Ning Ding, or Ding Ning, I, I don't remember. Uh, Ding Ning, okay? The point here, among other things, is that we run Ponzi schemes in this country, and they're going to blow up just like Ding Nings did, right? We are running a Ponzi scheme in terms of the national debt, we are running a Ponzi scheme in terms of Social Security. I have no idea how many pension funds in this country are actually a Ponzi scheme. They're based on we're going to pay out money now on the expectation that we have a certain amount of money coming in next year, the year after that, and the year after that, and the year after that. And if they don't get that money, their promises to pay on these pension funds isn't going to work. They won't work. Um, my point here is that as nutty as this is, we have a a 34-year-old Chinese Chinese guy who dropped out of dropped out of school at age 17, and he's fleeced investors out of 7.6 billion dollars. But this isn't just isolated to China. This is the sort of thing, although the numbers. I don't know that we can point to a bunch of other people who've fleeced individually hustled people for $7.6 billion. Um, I don't know what the total number was that Bernie Madoff got away with, at least for a while. But you got to be nuts to do this unless you don't mind spending your golden years in the slammer. And in China, hard to say what they're going to do to this guy. I mean, ding, ding. He might be jailed for the rest of his life. He might be executed. Hard to say. And <clears throat> he was just a kid, 34 years old. 34-year-old people don't have brains enough to handle $7.6 billion. He's given away rings that are worth close to $2 million apiece. $20 million villa. I mean, this is just evidence of... <sighs> Too much testosterone. 
You know, you think you're invulnerable and you're not. And it's part of the reason why you shouldn't be able to rise to extraordinary positions of power. Until you have a few more years under your belt, I doubt that there's anything to be done to stop it, but it's a danger sign. you got a 34-year-old guy. Is he a whiz kid or is he a crook? Well, as it turns out, he was a crook. Um, we've got another article here from Zero Hedge talking about the same story, and we have more lessons here. We need to rise up. This is the headline from Zero Hedge. We need to rise up. Built Chinese investors call for nationwide uprising after ma massive Ponzi scheme uncovered. Zubao's model wasn't exactly complicated. Investors, they said, could earn between 9 and 15 percent by funding a variety of projects presented on the company's website. <laughs> when the money came in, management simply absconded with it. And uh, and attempted to repay old investors with new investors' money. That's all. It was simple. <laughs> it's a wonderful business model. Our government uses it. Social Security uses it. Uh, <laughs> this 34-year-old kid thought he could get away with it. Well, sure enough, disgruntled investors now uh, now are now uniting in a nationwide rights protection movement. We need to rise up across the country and let the government know that the people's bottom line is the return of their capital. It is not, if it is not returned, the movement will not stop. That's from one of the protesters. Right. Um, judging from the tone of the rights protection movement bulletin excerpt, ex excerpted above, the villagers may be about to rise up in China. According to Reuters, by November, there were over 3,600 peer-to-peer platforms as the private loan industry raised more than 400 billion yuan, according to China's, the Chinese Banking uh, Regulatory Commission. More than 1,000 of those platforms were problematic. They've got 3,600 of these peer-to-peer -peer platforms. It's essentially... It's a little like this uh, crowdfunding that we see in this country. You lend us money, we'll give you 10 to 15, we'll give you uh, 9 to 15 percent interest. They were doing something like that, apparently. And they've got 3,600 of these peer-to-peer -peer lending institutions operating in China over the Internet, and more than 1,000 of them are problematic, <coughs> which is code for there are a thousand of them that are probably very similar to that of Ding Ning's. Uh, and they're probably going to blow up in everybody, and a number of them will blow up in everyone's faces before this is done. When any government, including our own, allows corruption to enter into and even dominate an economy, the principal object of that corruption will be to extort wealth from the public. Uh, that's, in, that's true in China. It's true here in the United States. Fiat-debt-based currency is an example of that extortion. Manipulated stock, bond, and commodity markets are another example. Sending industries and jobs to third-world countries and encouraging the invasion of illegal aliens are a third and fourth. Once corruption and treason become legalized uh, by corrupt government officers and officials— the extortion racket, which was originally confined to only relatively few insiders, proliferates as more hustlers, conners, and crooks understand and take advantage of laws passed by government to enrich crooks. 
Result, where extortion was once a relatively rare and perpetrated by only a relatively few con artists, it becomes common. Well, they've got that problem in China. And we've got it in this country, too. And that's the lesson on this thing. You know, these systems don't work forever. These rackets don't work forever. They sound like a great idea to the, the ordinary con man, and they get into it. Then you're riding the tiger, and eventually the tiger, you have to dismount. When you do, the tiger gets you. We're going to take a break for some commercial announcements. When we come back, James Corbett should be here, and we will be talking to James from thecorbettreport.com. Please stay tuned. discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with Salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3Ws.thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices.
I'm Alfred Adesk, and this is Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188. Our guest is James Corbett, calling in from Japan. James is, uh, you know, I envy James to some degree. He's had a he's he's done a remarkable job of speaking, producing videos, podcasts. He's been kind of a a minor media giant in a sense. Um, is is there anything? Is there any media that you're not working on right now, James? Uh, there's always stuff that I'd love to be working on, but don't have the time and or resources to. But uh, I like that. I like the name Minor Giant. I think that might be a good autobiography. All right. Um, got an article here from Conservative Republican News. <laughs> I'm betting you don't subscribe. I I haven't even heard of it. Yeah, well, it does. it's there. And the headline is, the economy has not grown above 3% for 10 years. The U.S. economy hasn't grown above 3% since 2005, making it a full 10 years since that level of growth was has been seen. And it's not grown above 4% since 2000, marking a 15-year era of much slower growth. For context, from 1947 to 2004, the economy averaged 3.45% growth each year. From 2006 to 2015, it's averaged 1.41%, less than half of what it did from World War II on up to 2004. Um, this makes this the slowest 10-year period of economic growth since 1930 to 1939. Great Depression, of course, uh, which came in at an average annual uh, growth rate of 1.33%. So given the government's predisposition to falsify economic indicators, are we already in a depression? I guess it depends who you ask. I'm going to say we haven't seen anything yet. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think we have a lot further to fall. But, yes, I you're right. I mean, even given the, the, the government's tendency to cook books, it's pretty amazing to see that they're at least admitting where the trend is and the trend yeah. is down. Although yeah. I was thinking when you were introducing that, isn't it interesting to think, hmm, 2000 and before was the last time we saw growth rates over 4%. What was driving the economy around 1999, 2000? I don't know. It was the great dot-com bubble, <laughs> and that burst, right. and then 9-11, and then everything yeah. went uh, went down south, and they so that that's the era of the central banks trying to take the driver's seat, and we'll, we'll lower rates down to nothing and keep them there for years and build up the housing bubble. And so all of the craziness we've seen for the last 15 years or so, 16 years, has been this imaginary nonsense paper wealth that's evaporated uh, in 2008 and which has grown up again and will evaporate, I'm sure, in the next collapse. So, and, and think about the fact that during that time, all of that time of all of that craziness sloshing through the system, you still didn't have actual growth rates in the economy, even the cooked economy uh, growth rates from the government over 4%. So that, that shows you something about how, how none of this economic activity that's going on right now is really productive uh, economic activity itself. It's just financial hocus-pocus. Do you think anyone's ever going to learn a lesson from this and say, you know, we shouldn't do that again. That didn't work for <laughs> us. That didn't. No, they're, they're doing it again, and I expect that as soon as we get back on our feet, they'll do it again after that, or will they? Are they will we ever learn? 
You'd like to think so, but then look at history and all of the times that there have been major economic collapses of different uh, sorts. And was it Diocletian debasing the currency in Rome and all of that kind of stuff? I mean, it's yeah. happened time and time and time and time and time again. And yeah. no reason to think the next generation is going to be any different than ours. Who's to blame? Is it a corrupt government, a greedy government, or is it just people who insist on their right to remain ignorant? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> all three, please. All three, all of them. Yeah. All they of... all work together. And any one of them, you could imagine, could at least put the brakes on what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. But uh, unfortunately, they're all working quite well together right now. And yeah, I don't like to blame the public for what's being done to them often, but there is a certain measure of responsibility that I think the public has to play in this you know, in there's, there's a lot of allowing the system to proceed as it does. There's a lot of things that ordinary people can't comprehend. It's hard enough to understand what's going on if you have education and, and intelligence. This isn't, you know, this isn't easy to understand. You can't exactly blame the public for being ignorant. But on the other hand, you can blame them for not making an effort to try to get around that ignorance. You know, so yeah, somebody ought to read a book. You know, someone ought to read a book. Or even watch a movie. Have you seen The Big Short? No, I haven't. Neither have I yet, but I'm going to be talking about it this month on my podcast, actually, because right. uh, I think it's, you know, I've read a lot of reviews about it, and people are saying it actually does a fairly good job of representing what was really going down in that crisis and the outright wanton criminality and the government turning a blind, willful blind eye to it and all of that going on in the middle part of last decade. And uh, this, uh, from what I've heard, it does a pretty good job of at least representing that reality and putting it in a way that most people will be able to understand it. So again, it's not, people can't claim ignorance because it's just too difficult to comprehend. I mean, at, at base, it's a pretty simple story to tell. It's the oldest story in the book, greedy people ripping off the masses. It's not necessarily so hard to understand, but it's hard to believe. Because you want to trust people in positions of power. I think it's just we have a natural tendency to do that, and that's probably part of our problem. Um, but we want to trust the government, and they're not—they're going to protect us in one thing or another. Doesn't seem to work out that way. Next uh, point, Randolph Randolph Bourne. Here's an article from or a comment from Randolph Bourne. They said, "War is the health of the state." Now, the meaning of the word state is ambiguous. It might mean the entire state with all of its land and people and infrastructure, or it might mean only the government. I've got two questions about Bourne's comment. Um, first, did Bourne really mean war is the health of the state, or did he really mean more precisely it's the health of the government? And second, is war really the health of the state and or government, or is Mr. Bourne's observation cynical but false? You know, I don't know the context of that original observation well enough to know what he was intending to apply it to, but okay. I certainly read it as meaning government. I mean, I don't think, when I hear state, I don't think of the land and the people and the mm -hmm. productive economy. I think of the government. So I think that's what's going on there. And I certainly 100% agree with that interpretation of it, that war is the health of the war state, the government that uh, that is in bed, obviously, with the financial and and corporate interests obviously stand to benefit quite directly from from war and that's why we have seen the the growth of this this beast that almost can't be um can't be slayed in a way because it is self self-fulfilling uh, it, it grows on itself 
Uh, government will always claw claw uh, liberties away from the people and will always foist new taxes on the people and will always try to expand. And the best you can do is put the brake on it, but at the first opportunity, they'll continue expanding again. And it almost never moves in the opposite direction. So um, that's Not until after I mean, collapse. Yeah. If then. Exactly. Uh, if then. Uh, yeah. But if war is the health of the government, is it the ruin of the state, meaning the people? Yeah, well, I think that, yeah, there are, there, there are two sides of the coin, and one is yeah. the growth of uh, the government and the people, mm-hmm. you know, surrounding that, and then there's the the the, the sort of the misattribution, the misallocation of investment that could be going for to actual productive economic activity that instead is being thrown down the bottomless black hole of the uh, the broken window fallacy. Well, you know, if we're... If we look at all this economic activity that we're generating by spending money to for to Lockheed Martin and, and their ilk to buy bombs to drop on people halfway around the world, look, it's it's a great economy we're in. I'm not sure what you mean by the broken window fallacy, but does that mean if we throw enough rocks through enough windows, we'll generate we'll stimulate the economy? Exactly. Buying yes. more windows. Yes, yes, yes. This was uh, first pointed out by that French uh, French uh, economist Frederick Bastiat. And I hope people will look into him. He wrote a bunch of essays, really simple, easy-to-understand essays about some basic economic concepts that I I think hold true today. One of them is the broken window fallacy, the idea that, yeah, if you go around breaking windows, people are going to have to spend money to the glaciers to come around and fix those windows. So look, you've created economic activity. You've actually helped the economy by breaking that window. But the, uh, the problem is that, uh, there's uh, there's missed opportunity costs. Yes, that money is being spent to glaciers, so you're benefiting the glaciers, but that money could have been spent elsewhere in the economy to perhaps invest in capital that could create you know new jobs or new employment or something, something you know better that would help the, the economy function in a better way. So all you're doing is diverting uh, money towards a certain activity where it doesn't need to be there. If you don't break the window, you don't need to, to have so many glaciers. So it's it's a fallacy. It's uh, but unfortunately, it's become so ingrained in economic thinking because the at least the neo Keynesians really do operate on that principle, and that's why you get to that point where you have the ridiculous, unbelievable scene of Paul Krugman, famed Nobel Prize winning New York Times editorial writer, on CNN saying it would be great to have a fake alien invasion, an alien invasion, whether fake or not. To, so that we could spend money on trying to defeat that problem, and that would probably pull us out of recession. And he wasn't really joking. I mean, he no, may I have been—he may have been I applying understand. a bit of a you know fantasy scenario, but that's the idea that these Keynesians have, and it's just ridiculous. Got an article for a comment here from Hermann Goering, uh, one of the top Nazis during World War II, and I don't remember if Goering ran the Air Force, Luftwaffe. Was that true? Do you real, do you know or recall? Top of my head, I don't remember. All right. Well, in any case, he said, well, of course the people don't want war. This is a little bit what we've, this is along the lines of what we've been talking about. But after all, it is the leaders of the country who determine the policy, and it's always a simple matter to drag the people along. Whether it's a democracy or a fascist dictatorship or a parliament or a communist dictatorship, voice or no voice, the people can always be brought to the bidding of the leaders. That is easy. All you have to do is tell them they're being attacked and denounce the peacemakers for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to danger. It works the same in any country. 
All right, that's his comment. Was Garing merely a cynic, or was he a brilliant philosopher or observer of, uh, you know, human nature? Are mankind always that easily deceived, or can we hope to see a world where people have brains enough to stand up and do what's right rather than what they're told to do? It's it's a bit of a magic trick, because once you know the trick, it can't work on you. Um, but that's the problem. Unfortunately, there are still a lot of people who whether willfully or not, and I think a lot of people willfully, just refuse to look at that idea and yeah. the fact that they could be being tricked by people in positions of power because, no, they love us. They're there because they want to, you know, steward the, 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 the ship of state towards the shores of happiness and freedom or whatever kind of ridiculous rhetoric gets thrown around. And that's a nice, comforting thing for people to believe, so they cling on to it. And that it definitely works against us. I think we are coming to a an age or at least a certain moment in time where there is, I think, more cynicism of government and people in positions of power than I've seen in my lifetime. I would even yeah. venture to say, I'm, I won't speak for you, but I imagine that you've seen in your lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Which can be, I mean, which can be a good thing because it counteracts that thing that Goering's talking about, but it can also be used to lead people in much scarier directions towards authoritarian figures who are going to swoop down and promise to restore some sort of order. You know, I'm the guy that you can trust and I'll take over. And that's a scary political moment. Why do you suppose people feel so comforted when they are following the government leaders? Why did they do that? If you want to psychologize, I would say that fundamentally the state represents the family writ large. And that's why, I mean, you, you have the idea of the nanny state. It's meant to be a sort of stand-in for parents, for, for the family itself. And so when we get to that, that part of, of our lives where we are venturing out into the world, we've been swaddled in all of this propaganda since the time we were put into public schools at the ripe young age of five or whatever it was. All of that time we've been told about the state and how it's there to look after you and take care of you. We, we really do start replacing our parents with the state in our head if we've been properly inducted into the indoctrination system to the point where, I mean, it really is. You have the, the left side of the, the political paradigm is mommy government and the right side is daddy government. And it's which one do you want? Do you want the government to wipe your nose or to, you know, to spank people and get them to back, get back in line? And that's pretty much the, the choice that people have. And that's the way they envision the world. And to come along and say, you know what? Government isn't there to take care of you. They don't care about you. They, they just want to extract as much as they can from the tax mm -hmm. cattle and, you know, fleece, fleece the flock when it, come, it comes time for fleecing. That, that could be a very scary thing. It's like in, psychologically, it's like ste stepping into people's lives and, and telling you, you know, your parents didn't love you. They just wanted to, you know, wanted you to work to support the family or something. It's, it would be a shocking and, and for some people, horrifying idea. There's another aspect that crosses my mind in that when people, if you don't trust the government, you're going to have to become extremely self-reliant. And beyond that, you have to be prepared to fight. I think a lot of ignorance is a function of cowardice, where people just, I don't want to, I don't want to, don't tell me about the government, I don't want to hear about it, because I don't want to have, I don't want to face up in my mind that I'm either too cowardly to fight, or that I have to stand up and fight, and I have to take a great deal of risk in order to try to do what's right and restore. But to me, a lot of this ignorance, self-induced, 
willful self-ignorance, it protects you from facing the choice, the whether you're a coward or whether you have enough courage to actually resist what is unjust, unlawful, whatever. Let's take a break for a couple of commercial announcements. And James Corbett and I will be back. This is James Corbett from the Corbett Report, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, report.com. Please stay tuned. Chinese civilization. 
There were the, the warning that the biggest financial risk threatening China is its runaway non-performing loans, which is anywhere from 10 to 20 percent of total bank, bank assets, which means that China is one chaotic default away from collapsing. Do you think things are that grim in China? Is their banking uh, system yeah. about to uh, is it close to a collapse that could re- really damage China, not just inconveniences, but precipitate a revolution? Yes, I, I think that the banking system is extremely precarious in China, that a lot of uh, the vast majority of growth in China the last several years has been of the financial wizardry banking sector kind, and it's been facilitated by the the rise of the the shadow banking markets there. So people buying these exotic investment instruments that the banks offer that really are a type of Ponzi scheme, really, because they roll them over and they pay Mm -hmm. off the last bunch of suckers with the new bunch of suckers. And that's... uh, I talked about it in the first segment of the program. Uh, They just caught somebody, Ding Ning, (laughs) 34-year-old. He had fleeced $7.6 billion dollars in just a couple of years. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, believable, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and and on top of which, according to the articles I had on it, it said there are 3,600 similar operations, peer-to-peer lending operations in China, operating mostly over the Internet. And according to the article, 1,000 out of that 3,600 are problematic. That was the term they used. And the implication is we're going to see more stories like that of Ding Ning. Well, We're going to see I make it bigger. I think that if there's anything that will stop it, it will be the Chinese government itself because they have an interest in not seeing that get out of control. So I always, when I see stories like that of people being caught out and prosecuted in China, I always have to wonder, you know, are they being scapegoated for something and trying to place blame on one person when it's a more institutional thing? No, they took, well, they took 20 people along with Bing right. Ning, 20 yeah. of his employees and uh i don't know how many people had working for them all together but there have been confessions that it was nothing but a ponzi scheme they just flat out took the money and spent it on themselves and uh when more money came in they used that to pay off previous yes well as i say unfortunately that's that's pretty par for the course in the in the chinese banking system these days with people very interested in these wealth management products that offer 10 percent or more per year and Mm -hmm. again really are being supported by new people coming in every year so it's not sustainable and uh we've seen that tottering a, a few times in the last couple of years and there was a lot of talk i believe it was the beginning of 2013 there was some talk about uh some of those Ponzi-type schemes about to collapse, and the government stepped in with a huge liquidity injection. We've seen a couple of more liquidity injections in the early part of this year. So I think the Chinese government understands that there's there's an awful lot that could collapse if they don't keep it pumped up. And, uh, you know, that's, I think, part of the, the balancing act that they're going under right now. And I, I think this, again, relates into everything that's going on in China, but also, of course, to the currency itself and the fact that the there's very likely to be further devaluations of the yuan this year, which will obviously not just have effect on China, but on the entire international monetary order. I've seen you you talk about the government stepping in to correct these problems with the banks. What's the probability that the military is going to lose confidence in the Chinese government? 
and step in with a sort of with a takeover. Is there any probability yeah. that that's a viable? Is that a viable um, possibility right now? Well, that article that you're quoting from um, is it makes that point that if there is not just financial risk, there is real social risk that comes from a fundamentally unstable economic system that's being perched on a knife edge like that. And if it starts to unravel, you're absolutely going to see a lot more social unrest in China. And there's a very real possibility that you might have a repeat of Tiananmen or something like that, some sort of crackdown that comes. And in moments like that, I think that's times of genuine genuine uh, do or die for the, the, the Chinese communist government, because it certainly could. I mean, I'm not sure it would necessarily be an overthrow um, in, in a sense that would look like an overthrow from the outside. It would be a shuffling inside, I, uh -huh. I would imagine. Uh -huh. But yes, you could imagine some form of uh, military-type coonness going on. And who knows how much of that we'd even see from the outside. I Again, it's, it's such an opaque uh, system. But, uh, but yes, I think there is a genuine threat um, to the economic, not just the economic order, but the political order from a banking collapse in China. I think I've said this before when we were talking, but I saw one article probably 18 months ago, something like that. I don't recall clearly. But the president or the premier, the Chinese premier, he... Um, he said he doesn't know what's going on in any of the provinces. They send him economic reports, but he says he knows they all lie. The, the, the number one guy in China doesn't even know what's really going on in their economy. All he gets is falsified reports. They're trying to, have, they're trying to send him smoke, mirrors, and uh, happy talk. Yeah. And how do, you run a, how do you run a country when everyone is inclined to lie? And everyone's lying, yeah. Yeah, I know. Lying to protect their own necks as much as anything else. Yeah, um, people have done the, the, the math and added up the GDP growth in each individual district of China and then added uh -huh. it up, and it's more than the total uh, that the Chinese government reports for the entire country. So <laughs> there's a lot of shenanigans like that that goes on. And as I think we've talked about before, the uh, current um, pr uh, pr prime minister, president, whatever they call him, under Xi, not president, but uh, premier, Li Yaoning, uh, he was the one of the the key figures in in uh, one of the major districts of China, who admitted several years ago when he was kind of a lower down the ladder, he admitted that the GDP numbers are just fictitious, and that he used different uh, criteria like rail cargo volume and things like that to come up with something more reliable because people are less likely to lie about those figures. And I just heard a story. I don't have the details of it, but one of the top Chinese economic officials was just arrested for fudging GDP numbers, something like that. So, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting to see that kind of stuff going on. Maybe he wasn't fudging them. But it's right not now. just going on there. It's going on in this country, too. And I wonder yeah. how many other countries are, are producing. Does Japan produce honest economic indicators? I don't think there's any country on the planet that's going to give 100% mm -hmm. honest. I mean, because mm -hmm. there's so many measures that are just depend on the way you measure them. I mean, well, I, like get, I, prices, I, I agree you know, with that. There's no objective way to There's degrees of, uh, you know, there's misdemeanor falsification of numbers and felony falsification right. of yeah. numbers. And uh, yeah. it seems to me that we got fault. They've apparently have felony falsification of numbers in China. 
And it seems maybe we have felony falsification of numbers here in the United States. And can it work out? Can we have a happy ending? Have you ever talked to John Williams? No, I never have. You should. He's uh, uh, shadowstats.com. Is, no, I know uh, who he is. He's my hero. He's, yeah, he's yeah. one of the very few people in the world that I regard as a hero. Yeah. Um, he has done, he's perhaps the most influential ec- economist in the in the country right now. In terms of, he actually gave us real numbers. Mm-hmm. Right? Where would we be without John Williams? One guy took the time to actually calculate. He said, wait a second, what's the real numbers here? What would your understanding of the world be today without John Williams? What would mine be? I mean, he's made an yeah. extraordinary co- contribution just by calculating, trying to get, get to the truth. Exactly. We would yep. just be scratching our heads knowing something was wrong, but not being able to quantify it without mm-hmm. people like that you know, being able to help out. So, yes, I agree. Have you ever interviewed John on your podcast I, or whatever? I have, but it's been several years. I'm just thinking, mm-hmm. you know, might be a good time to get him back on. I understand. Let's go to oil. Have we seen a bottom? 30, 31, 32, is that the bottom for crude oil right now, or are we going to see another uh, decline? Some people have predicted $20 oil, some people $10 crude oil. Yeah. Where do you think we're I, going? I don't think it's the bottom. I think we're going to get into the 20s, um, and I think it's going to be a while. I, I'm thinking it could even be a couple of years before we start seeing significant uptick. I mean, we'll see some bounces here and there, but um, a a significant sustained trend, I'm not thinking it's going to be possible for the next couple of years because a lot of the supply has already been baked into the cake. Talking about the Middle East, the global recession and the low price of crude oil, the primary factors behind Middle East instability, or is it the conflict between the Shiites and the Sunni? What's a lot of trouble in the Middle East right now, more so than probably... I don't know. I don't know if they had this much trouble during World War II. Hmm. Uh, Well, I mean, chicken and egg, because there's, I mean, obviously oil prices affect the politics of the region, and the politics of the region affect the oil Mm -hmm. prices. So um, whatever the case is, Saudi Arabia, certainly, if they were the ones that actually started the trend downwards, they certainly don't have control over it at this point, and they are now getting shot in the foot. Um, and significantly depleting reserves in order to, you know, keep their their budgets where they are. We're going to start seeing some significant belt tightening in the region if if prices remain where they are, which I expect they will. So um, so I think that contributes to a certain sense of urgency around some of the issues. Uh, Saudi uh, arms spending has been quite high in recent years and has been going up, but obviously they won't be able to continue that indefinitely if they're you know, starting to engage in belt tightening. So um, they might feel a certain extra pressure to wrap things up in Syria and or Yemen, and uh, that might affect, you know, some sort of re- resolution. Hey, maybe for the good, or maybe they'll just try to bomb everything and sort it all. We don't out. have any more money, but we still have a few more bombs. Yeah, um, we can we can throw them. So we've got a multitude of conflicts in the Middle East, and you think that the conflicts may tend to diminish rather than increase over because of the price of oil and people going broke and they can't, apparently can't afford to fight. 
Well, if I was going to graph it, I would say that the pressure is for an increase in the short term as people realize that they have to start making their moves while they have a little bit of money to play with. But as their reserves are dwindling, I think that'll taper off. So I, I would see a, a, a spike in activity in the next year or two, and then one would imagine it would go down from there. Do you think regional war is likely in the Middle East? It's always likely. That's the problem. Yeah, that's and it's always just that's a question. True. Yeah. Right. It's always just a question of the wrong hothead on the wrong day, like in Turkey shooting down a Russian jet. I mean, that can cause the, the trigger. We, one never knows what the trigger is going to be. But yes, I mean, everyone is at each other's throats and everyone has their own competing agendas. And there's a lot of people who may not be natural allies, but they're working together because their agendas tend to coincide. And uh, it's just a mess. And I don't see any easy or simple way of extricating anyone extricating themselves from this while saving face because a lot of people are commit, committed to a certain outcome, like removing Assad. And uh, there's just no way that that's going to be negotiated in a peaceful way. ISIS has suffered serious losses at the hands of the Russians. Will Russia continue to attack ISIS? Uh, will ISIS soon suffer defeat and disintegration? Or will ISIS survive to fight on? Russia's first and foremost priority is and will continue to be the western side of Syria, where ISIS is less, has less of a, a hold, and it's more some of the other groups that are fighting Assad. So, yes, they have been fighting ISIS, but they've been fighting other groups as well, including some of the quote-unquote good guys that the U.S. is supporting. So I think that complicates things. But as long as that Western area where they have their uh, Latakia and their, their kind of port and interests there, I think they'll be happy enough um, with that. I, uh, obviously, they would prefer that... Assad you mean ISIS be, will be happy enough with uh, that? Sorry, Russia will be happy enough okay. with that. So I don't think they're, they necessarily are committed to wiping ISIS off the face of the map and out of Iraq. I, I don't think they care that much, and I don't think they'll push... Mm push that hard because obviously that starts stepping on other toes that they don't need to step on. And I think that's the real, I mean, it seems like a very political calculus at this point. So to the extent that it's useful to them to support their direct military interests in the region and indirectly to support their ally Assad in the region, they will do so. But I don't imagine they're going to you know, push it through to its conclusion by themselves. Is there any, is there any end in sight for the Syrian civil war? Hard to imagine what that end would look like at this moment, unless and until uh, Russia and Iraq and Iran and some of Assad's allies or at least supporters back away and basically give him to the wolves. Um, but I don't see that happening easily because there, I mean, there's just too much riding on that. And then what do you replace it with? I, I just, I mean, it's such a mess at the moment. And as I say, everyone has their own little agenda. So I think there's going to be a lot of, negotiating that will have to happen before that happens. And unfortunately, as I say, there's a lot of room for hotheads to start something, you know, some major international incident between now and then. Well, we're going to have to leave it at that because we're out of time, James. I want to thank you for being on the program as always and look forward to talking to you again next week. Have a good week, James, and all of you listening, thank you. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, Frank, the producer, and James Corbett from the Corbett Report. See you, folks. I work all night, I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. 
The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit discount gold and silver trading at dgscoins.com. That's dgscoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
right, good evening all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Steffen. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's Wednesday, February 1st, 2017. And it's almost 8 minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time. And uh, if that's when it is where you're at, we're live. Hey, uh, you know, I've been telling you about the 800 number and some changes so if any of you'd like to try i don't know if it's gonna work okay but i'll give you this number and it might work okay it could work i haven't finished (laughs) figuring out how to set it up yet but it might work it's probably not going to work the way i want it to but it it might work so you could give it a call you could give it a try and definitely write the number down it is not on the website yet it won't be until I do know the thing works, right? But, you know, okay, where is the number here? Where is that number? I don't even have it memorized yet, but it's really easy. <laughs> it is. It's really easy. I almost have it memorized even now, and I've only been aware of it for, you know, uh, I don't know, an hour or so. So, uh Let's see here. Yeah, I'll get it. I'll get it. Don't worry. Hey, everybody just talk amongst yourselves for a second. Here it is. Okay, now think about how easy this is. It's really easy to remember. Much easier than the other one. And it's certainly easier than the 541 uh, number is. I I have trouble. I've known that one for a a year, and I still have trouble remembering it. But uh, this one's really easy. And it's not an 800 number. It is toll-free. But listen how easy this is. 855-355-1955. A lot of fives there. This is easy, okay? It's one number, man. you got to remember it six times. But, hey, it's only one number. 855-355-1955. Man, I like that. I really do. It's got kind of a... A ring to it. 855-355-1955. I like it. Anyhow, 1955 was a much better year than 1980 anyway. So, not that I'd know because I wasn't even born yet, but from what I read it was much better, much better time. (laughs) Anyhow, uh, so, hey, you can give that a uh, you can give that a try, and we'll see if it works. And hey, if it doesn't, five four one eight two six zero nine five three. That will work. I know that one works. Uh, but anyway, so uh, if you don't want to call in at all, you don't have to. But hey, if you'd like to participate, and go to our website, theamericanvoice.com. dot com. And um, apparently, somebody has tried that. So let's see. Go ahead, caller. Hey, Frank J. Washington. Hey. Look at that. Is that an easy number or what? It is. It didn't ring, though. It just went right to, uh, like, a commercial. Yeah, you Uh, see, like I said, I haven't completely finished the settings. Well. But at least it it works. Yeah, and and the commercial kind of came on. Well, okay. And it did the little static thing. Right. The commercial is supposed to be. Like when you got to sit on hold and wait. Okay. There's supposed to be a greeting, which I haven't yet recorded. 
So that's why there isn't one, and it'll be something like, uh, you know, thanks for calling the uh, AVRN caller, you know, listener call-in line. Right, you know, right. wait until you, you know, go online. We'll get you on as soon as we can. Something like that, right? And that's what it'll be. And then as you sit there, if you have to sit there, like if somebody's on before you, then you'll hear the commercials. Okay, that's how it's supposed okay. to work. That's how it's supposed to work. But like I said, see, I haven't got it all set up yet. I just wanted to see if it would work, and it does. Yeah. So hey, yeah, hey, and it's an easy number to remember. I'll put it in my Rolodex. Whole lots of what Rolodex? What are you like a hundred? Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> some kind of dinosaur or something over there. I have a pocket calendar that I still use. Oh my uh, gosh! Get yeah. this, get this man a wheelchair. <laughs> you know, or at least a walker or something. <laughs> I know. That's what people say. What is that? That's a pocket uh, count? Is that some kind of new mobile phone? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It works for me. Well, hey, and it doesn't give your testicles cancer. Well, let's hope not. I mean, you never know what the paper's made of. <laughs> yeah, well, there, so. yeah, but, you know, it's in a thing. It's like locked in a in a little yeah. box thing, so it can't get to you. Unlike right. the, the mobile phones. You know, that's somebody asked that earlier today to me and, and says, hey, is the uh, – this is a real question. I'm not even making this up. Is uh, is the radiation from cell phones as bad as it was from microwaves in the 80s? And my answer was, well, I think the mobile phones are worse because you never oh, put probably. your microwave in your pocket next to your testicles. Well, yeah, yeah, I would think so too. You stand away from, and the, the microwave is somewhat of, of a Faraday cage. So you yeah, and who really... stands there and, and and even like, oh, well, let me look. Yeah, yeah. You know, let me look. You know, I I mean, I only do that with my laundry at the laundry mat. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know? But not the microwave. I knew better than that. It's like, no, I don't yeah. think so. This is I don't probably use a microwave bad. that much uh, that often. I, mean, I don't use have... it at all. I haven't used a microwave in probably fifteen. Uh, well, no, closer to twenty yeah. years now. I. I had a microwave, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I did. I, I got a microwave, and it had the, the the thing in the middle that turns around so it, it, it cooks things evenly. Right, right. I thought this thing was the coolest thing ever, right? And it heated my coffee up. Oh, and it, yeah. Oh, man, it couldn't cook anything. I tried cooking, you know, normal stuff like, well, let me cook a hamburger in here. Boy, no, that's a, no, that's a no. disgusting, you, ugly thing you, that comes out of yeah, there, boy. You need a convection oven for oh, that. God, that's that's not a good thing to do that. But no. I tried, and I still I liked it. And then I started reading about it, and was like, well, okie dokie. I guess it's time to take this thing and put it in uh, the shed. So that's where it's at. But I keep it. I keep it just so you know I can. Uh, you know, once they start RFID and all my clothing and stuff that I buy, I can all throw it in the microwave when I come home and burn out well, those little chips. And they're good Faraday cages. I mean, you can put your, you know, radios or whatever in there, and if there's an EMP, true, it won't. Yeah, they they now that's what I've been told. I don't know. Well, they're little, and they're pro it's probably block. true. But you know what else you can do, Jay? Uh, you can get a 55 gallon metal drum. And you can put that out, you know, wherever, and just ground it. You know, put a put a ground rod in the ground, put a little copper, uh, you know, not a little copper wire, get a bigger copper wire so it right, right, flows right. nice. And then, you know, scrape, because most of them are painted, 
you know, scrape a part down of the mid of the metal there and then get a, you know, screw and just screw that thing on there and ground that thing to the ground. And then inside the 55 gallon drum, you can take, um, like, um, oh, milk carton, uh, uh, things, you know, those plastic things that four gallons of milk get shipped in. I'm sure, you know, Oh yeah. 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 You know, those things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, milk crate. Yeah, and and put all your stuff, you know, whatever is electronic in those milk crates, and stack them up in that fifty-five gallon drum, and that really? will act as a Faraday cage. Yeah, I had no idea. That's pretty handy. Yeah, yeah, well, anything metal that is grounded will act as a Faraday cage. Hmm. Yep. I did not know that. I thought you needed. You know, Some special stuff, kind of insulation. Well, you do need you, you you do need special stuff if it's not going to be grounded. If it's like, not going to be grounded, right? If you're going to do something like in your automobile, like say you got an electronic car, right? And and you go, well, mm-hmm. gee, I don't want this thing EMP'd. You know, if, if that happens, and you go to like that one site, uh, I forget what it is, less uh, less EMPs or something, is the site where they sell this. Uh, fabrics that are designed to block certain frequencies so you get the right frequency blocking uh fabric and say you want to line like i don't know the the bottom of the hood of your car right right and the sides and you, you protect your electronics in your car see uh just putting metal around that isn't gonna work because it's not well, grounded what if you just what if you just disconnect the battery your car is still not grounded well, the tires don't act no. as a grounding. No, as a matter of fact, That's the a... tires insulate you from being grounded. That's why a lot of... T- you remember in the old days, trucks used to have these, like, chains and straps hanging down that would kind of bang on the ground as they went? You talking, like, semi-trucks? Yeah, well, semis and, and just regular, uh, you know, not necessarily pickup trucks, but, you know, delivery trucks and stuff like that. You know, box mm-hmm. trucks and things like that, and they had... Sure, yeah. You look underneath them, and they've got this, like, a lot of them had a chain, and some of them had this, like, this strap, this metal strap, and it would, like, Mm. just run along the ground. Well, they did that to ground the vehicle because back in the day, they didn't have the sophisticated, you know, electronic things, and they needed that. I didn't know that. I've been driving truck for 30 years, and I never heard of that. Yeah, check it out. And they did it also for... uh, I think it was safety things, something like, uh, I, I think there was some kind of buildup that could happen and short out stuff. And this, this ground was supposed to, you know, and some people, yeah, it makes sense. And yeah. some people it's actually just, uh, suggest that nowadays, you know, to protect your car from EMPs, you know, put a strap on it and basically ground your chassis because, you know, you're, you're driving it even then, right? Right. I mean, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Huh. Yep, and and the strap I'm talking about is you've probably seen these things. They're like woven metal uh, sure, straps. Right. Yeah, I, I, they're pretty yeah. sturdy and they last quite a while. They don't last forever though, you know. And they even used to use um, like rubber, like a tire thing, because you know they have metal inside of them. Right, right. Like and they would the, use yeah. those, and and but you know they don't last, and and then they figured out how to. Okay, we can put some resistors in this, and we won't have that problem. So they don't do it. Nobody thinks about being EMP'd, so nobody nobody really yeah. does that, you know. Uh, yeah, nobody thinks of it until it's gonna until it happens. Yeah, until your car doesn't work anymore, and then it's like, hey, right. what the heck happened here? Hey, what the heck happened to your car? <laughs> hey, how come right. nobody's moving? 
<laughs> right. You know? Yeah, but yeah. but that fabric is great stuff, and I, I wish I had the... Uh, yeah, you've mentioned it several times, and I, I probably had it bookmarked it on one occasion, but I can't think of it either. It's I'm some sure L M L M P L M L E M P or something like that. It it's for less E M P, and um, they have all kinds of things there. You know, for you know, because some people are really sensitive to electromagnetics nowadays. You know, I'm sure you've read about. Like that one guy in Sweden that has to walk around in basically a spacesuit or else he, you know, collapses, hmm. you know, because okay. there's so much Wi-Fi and he's so sensitive to it that it makes him sick. You know, uh-huh. and some people have gotten that way because there's, there's a lot of electromagnetics floating around now with all the cell towers and Wi-Fi. And it, has, you know. it has to be uh, immense. It really does. Well, it everything is. Everything and... is wireless and, and everything's wireless. you got all this Bluetooth and... Well, even your even your even your electric meter has, you know, wireless on it. Everything is, you know, and you know. So some people are really sensitive to it, and this company even makes. uh, I'm sure you've seen the, you know, like from India, the the mosquito netting that they drape Mm -hmm. over beds and stuff. You know, mosquito netting so over your bed, so you can. Yeah, well, they make those with the electromagnetic shielding. And they look just like a, they look just like a you know mosquito netting, right? But right. it blocks it blocks electromagnetics, so these people can actually get out of their spacesuit and actually get a night's sleep in a bed without you know having terrible things uh, physically happen to them. Yeah, well, yeah, without being scorched. By... Yeah, it's uh, it's you know, and hey, these people are the canary in the uh, coal mine. Yeah, well, we all are essentially, you know. I believe that. I mean, maybe not 100%, but uh, I don't believe they do anything or they invent anything, you know, and ever fully test it. No. They just roll it out and, hey, let's see what let's see how many people get sick. Well, and you people, know? you know, people are like, well, golly, you know, uh, all the bees are dying, and uh, that's really yeah. bad because, you know, they pollinate everything, and that's really bad for the food supply. And yeah, it is. It's really bad for the food supply, but also it's really bad for us, too, because mm-hmm. bees really are acting as the canary in the coal mine sure well you heard about the birds up here in tacoma on the port the the hundreds if not thousands of seabirds that are just freaking dropping dead yeah i saw that last week on the news yep. you know just on like a website i'm like what you know and if and you now, and if, if you do a search for you know that sort of thing you know, I don't know how you'd put, you know, worded dead birds dropping from the sky or whatever i i don't know what you man you're going to come up with Oh, it's happened here in Oregon. It's happened up there. It's happened mm-hmm. over on the East Coast. It just happened in, I think, what was it, Rhode Island or somewhere like that? That, no, no, I think it was New Hampshire or something. That birds just started dropping dead out of the air. Boom, splat on the ground for no reason. Yeah, and that's, oh, no well, reason they're saying. Right. There's a reason. Now it could be radiation or some kind of toxin, and it could be. But I'm a conspiracy nut, and I think it's. I think it's a, some kind of mechanism that they're perhaps testing as a form of, you know, the can or will be used as a form of crowd control. Well, that's a, that's entirely possible, and 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 then again, it could be a combination because every one of these things don't have to be the same. You know, one right, of them right. could be dropping out of the sky because they did something like that. Another one could be because they got you know. Uh, you know, too much Wi-Fi. Another one could be they got too much radiation. Another one could be they got, you know, too much pesticides. I mean, we got a lot of bad things going on. A lot on. of stuff, yeah, a lot, absolutely, yeah. Well, but 
the, the mass kill-offs anyway, at least this one here, the most recent one. I don't know, toxins and pesticides. I mean, that's, I don't think it's going to be as widespread or, as, or the volume wouldn't be as high, I wouldn't think. It'd be more sporadic, I, my, I would think. Now, well, and one ooh. thing out here on the West Coast with birds, if a flock of birds just happens to fly through a particularly radioactive plume that came out of Fukushima, you know, they could actually, you know, just drop to the ground, and, and we'd never know it because, well, for one thing, it takes a lot less radiation to kill a bird than it does a person. Oh, sure. Yeah. And that radiation may be floating around up in the jet stream, you know, uh, up high where they fly around and where we, you know, might not even come down where we're at. Right, right. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, there's just, it's just too... uh too many bad things. It's such, it's such good. It's such a good subject to talk about. We should probably can just continue to talk about it. It's so you know <laughs> joyous to, to talk about that stuff. Well, you know? one thing about it is the media doesn't talk about it at all. At all. You know, it's like it's not happening. Like Fukushima happened, and then oh, it's done, and it's not done. Right. Right. No, it's not done. No. But here we are. So you know, and I was always brought up to believe, oh, you know, them Japanese boy, they sure are innovative. They sure know how to build things. And here we have the Russians, who I was brought up to believe, well, they can't do anything. They're a bunch of idiots, and they can't figure out nothing. That's why they're the Russians. And uh, you know, we're so good and they're so bad. And and it right. turns out, well, gee, the Russians have a meltdown, and they took care of it. They took care of it, and there's people living back in the area. You know, they, but the Japanese. They can't take care of it. Well, golly, we don't know what to do. So just let it spew. Let it, uh, just let it keep going. You know, what, yeah. what the heck? We, we don't know what to do. So never mind. You know, well, I don't know. If it was me and I figured, well, I don't know what to do, uh, I might go ask the Russians. <laughs> I was about to say, I would go find somebody that did know what to do. Yeah, hey, what'd you do? Because we're too stupid, apparently, to figure that out. So could you help us out here? We'll pay just you. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. But that's the world we live in, so I, that's I don't the know, world man. We live in. And we certainly can never be friends with those people, because <laughs> that no. the, the world would explode if we ever got to be we you know, friends, friends with who? The, the Russians. Friends with the Russians? Yeah. No, no, no. We, they're the, of course not. No, of, of course, course not, because we need to be friends with all our enemies, like Japan and Germany. We need to yeah. be real good friends with them. Uh, and France, the worthless country that, you know, I mean, they'll surrender to anybody. And, you know, oh, we got to be yeah, friends with the them, too. Just like the Italians. But we, know, can't, they're, they're, they're... we can't be friends with who we were actually supposedly allies with during that. No, no. Exactly. Yeah. That's funny. Isn't that funny? Well, yeah, in a really. sick, well, twisted well, sort of way. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But, you know, that's where we live, and people... Just spew this stuff out about, oh, my gosh, we can't be friends with the Russians. That'll un unsettle the whole world order, and the whole thing will come crazy. Com you know. And it's completely unsubstantiated. They can't give reasons why. It's all because they hacked the elections or or they hacked the elections. I haven't really heard anything else. Yeah, or— on our elections. Yeah, and they can't prove that, so, you no, know, they and, and they never that. hacked our elections anyway. They, If anything, which I don't even believe they did this— if anything, they hacked the DNC, which is not even a governmental agency, right. okay? Right. They're a private right. party. So what? But it just doesn't even make sense. Why would they do that in the first place? Why would that? That's ridiculous. Well, 
And plus, Jay. It's just a ridiculous notion to say that, to even suggest it. Okay, Jay, so let's, Jay's a Russian now, okay, and he's a hacker Russian. He's the super hacker Russian, okay? So here's Jay sitting in mom's basement, (laughs) right, super hacking the DNC. Don't you think if I'm good enough to do all that, I'm also good enough to cover my tracks? Or that I'm good enough to hack into NORAD and launch a couple of ICBMs. Yeah, right, at the DNC. Now, I'd have to cheer that. I'd I'd have to say hurrah for anybody who did that. But my point is, if there's any evidence that says it was Russia, well, then it wasn't Russia. Because hackers, well, golly, that's the one thing they do. Because, well... They don't want to get caught, see? They don't want to get caught. So they exactly. they, they leave a, a trail of breadcrumbs leading, well, away from them, <laughs> okay? So it's right, like, well, right. come on, man. Let's let's use our, our, our thinking caps here a little bit. So now, hmm, if the evidence does point to Russia, I wonder who could do that. Who hates Russia more than anybody in the planet? And so far from what I'm reading, I would have to vote the CIA, the CIA, and I was going to say the last administration, State Department. I mean, which is the CIA, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and, and they hate them, and because well, they're their gravy train. Because without you know the evil empire, yeah, they need an enemy, right? They need an enemy. They need, and they need like a really prolific enemy. It's well, a big enemy with a lot of nukes, like we got. Yeah, you know, because right. gee, you know, I mean. Just kicking the crap out of defenseless countries all around the world has gotten old. Plus, we pretty much kick the crap out of every country that can't defend itself in the world. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you we've know, gone through Africa. We've gone through North yep. Africa. We've gone through the Middle East. What's left? I mean, start kicking the crap out of uh, Europe maybe next? Well, <laughs> somebody's got to be next, I guess, but... Certainly, it'll never be Russia up front or like North Korea or Iran. We're sc- our government's actually scared of those nations, and rightfully so. Oh, man. Yeah, have you? <laughs> now, now, you probably saw the news, uh, you know, F-16 mishap in, uh, you know, Alamogordo, where they accidentally, you know, dropped bombs on their own spotters. Well, really? This was recently? Yeah, like yesterday. You know? Oh, I haven't been paying attention well, to the news. Well, you know... See, people don't realize that, listen, the, F, the F-16 and the F-15 are fantastic They're still great fighters. Absolutely. Air platforms. Yep. But they're 40 years old. Things well, have bad. advanced in the last 40 years. Yes. And, well, look, I, hey, you know what? My Dotson's 40 years old. And, and and it still gets me down the road. But you know what? I'm not going to be racing any new, uh, you know, 2017 car down the highway, man, with it. No. 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 Well, you and, can, you know, but you're going to lose. Well, yeah, and I'm going to lose. I'm going to look really bad and stupid and kind of, yeah. you know, idiotic right. if I do that. But, well, sadly, our military is is quickly finding itself in that place. I mean— we can't get our new air platform to work right. Okay, the F-35 is a failure. I mean, it's just a failure. And, it is. And even if it did it work is. right, it would be a failure because it's built in six different countries. It, you're right with that. Now, the F-22, I, I have a different take on that. But. Yeah, it was a great one, except you know what? You know why they canceled it? 
After only a hundred, well, I think they 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 built a hundred and then they said, okay, cancel it and do the F thirty five. You know why? Well, because it was obsolete. It was By obsolete the time, yeah. before it took it took flight. Because however, co- corruption. It took oh. them so darn long to build the thing. Yeah, I watched a documentary on the F twenty two and the F thirty five actually, and I do have a different take on the F twenty two. It is a good fighter, but it and why it, it was obsolete when it came out. I don't know because they say that there's so much the, the, the technology is so far advanced with the plane that I don't know I, I would I have, it's been a while since I watched that documentary but it's a in my opinion it's a better fighter than the, certainly the F-35 well it, it can actually fly yeah which makes it better <laughs> you know I mean because <laughs> well, there, you know uh, you know but they didn't build very many of them and Hey, the Russians got their their MiG thirty five yeah. up in the air and it's flying around, and that thing is uh, that thing I read about that just two days ago, man, and uh, that thing is uh, pretty impressive. It's awesome. I thought it was an Su thirty five, not a MiG, but I could be wrong. Uh, either one. I mean, there's the two companies that make their fighters. I don't know how to say the other. I, I think like there is an Su also. Okay. And I don't know. I guess they're. Uh, yeah, I guess they would be different companies, but they, they also are, have yeah. different. They're different airplanes. They're different. This is they. This is their fifth generation fighter, man. And it's like, well, our fifth generation fighter is the F thirty five, and it can't fly. And just as well, because you know the aircraft carrier that they're building to support the F thirty five, well, it can't sail. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. So, you know, just as well we don't have any planes because they would right, have nowhere to right. land because, you know, yeah. the aircraft carrier, you know, the missile system doesn't work, the propulsion nope. system doesn't work, the radar system nope. doesn't work, even the catapult system doesn't work. So No, and that's interesting, yeah, and it, like, ruined a couple of planes or something like that because it, like, went haywire. Yeah, no, that's fun, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it only costs a couple billion dollars, so right. nothing to worry it's about there. <laughs> you know, I mean, no. and then we've got our what? Our our Zumwalt that looks like it looks like the monitor. It, well, it looks like the Merrimack of the uh, the Confederate Navy. Okay, that's the one that's being towed around the yeah. freaking. Yeah. Has it reached San Diego yet? From I think from it being did. Towed by they, a barge. Yeah, they towed it from the Panama Canal to San Diego. Yeah, yeah that's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yes, we're on our, you know, like Teddy Roosevelt's tour, you know, around the the world in the fleet. Yeah, there it is. Except it's we're like it's like Looney Tunes, man. Okay, that that you could car you could animate that, and it would be a great cartoon. Yeah, and then, you know, people go, ah, well, these are just a few. Yeah, and then there's the littoral fleet, which is, you know, and I had to look this up myself, folks. So don't feel bad if you don't know what it is, and if you do, you're pretty educated because littoral is is like coastal. Okay, it's just along the coast, like within 12 miles of the coast or something. And they have a flat bottom fleet so they can, you know, chase people up the rivers and all, you know, whatever. You know, they can operate in real shallow water. And this hmm. thing was supposed to. Mil- these are naval vessels? Yeah, yeah. And, and they're supposed to be really highly advanced with weaponry and all that stuff. No more of these, uh-huh. you know, no more of these, these PT boats going up the Delta anymore. No, no, no. These things are high tech super weapons, you know, that they just seem to operate, they just operate in shallow water. Well, they don't work either. Okay, they can't make them work. And it's cost but a I'm whole sure pile of money. They made a lot of money for them. Oh, sure they did. And Congress, see, they're complaining about that now because it's like, hey, wait a minute, you know, we spent all this money and uh, we got no boats. 
Oh, we got boats, they say. Of course, they don't work, but... They don't work. We got them. We got them right here, and uh, we're going to fix them. We promise. We're going to really fix them. We will. Eventually, they'll work. Well, hopefully Trump will fix this, because obviously there's a, there's a huge, huge freaking lack of oversight, which has led to these general dynamics in, like, North, North what is it, Northrop? Yeah, well, yeah, yep, yep. And who else? Lockheed. All these uh, Lockheed Martin, defense yeah. contractors out there that are obviously corrupt, ripping, ripping the government off, going, hey, man. It doesn't matter what we build them. It doesn't matter if it works. They're going to buy it anyway. Right. So let's just piece together an, an, a, a, this jet thing and just boom. And say, hey, this is what it'll do. Right. Uh, you know what they're doing? They're doing what Microsoft does to all of us. We're back in the old days. They used to say, okay, well, you know what? We're going to test this thing and test this thing. And then we're going to come and mm -hmm. say, hey, we got this thing that really works good. And it's going to cost this much. You want it? And then, yeah, well, let's see. Let's see it work. Okay, it works. Yeah, we want, we give us a thousand of those, right? You know, that's how it used to work. Now it's like, hey, we got an idea for this really cool jet. You want to buy it? Right. And they go, well, what does it do? Oh, it does sure. everything. It does everything. Yeah, it does everything. Right. Everything. Yeah, everything. And it's built everywhere. Wow. Yeah, cool. everybody loves it. You want any? Yeah, I want a thousand of those too. Okay. Right, right. And then they get to going, okay, all right, we gotta figure out how to build this thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they get out they there and they build it. something and they try to test it, it doesn't work, it never works. Yeah. And then they go back to the government and they go, You know all that money you gave us for, you know, all those planes? Well, we're having some problems we, and we, we need more. We need more money and we need a lot more time. Yeah. Because basically no, we lied no, to no, you and we told you we had exactly. this thing. Uh, but we really didn't have the thing. We had an idea about a thing. <laughs> and I don't think you're too far off. I mean, it's, it sounds like parody here, but I, 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 you can't be that far off. And you got these generals and admirals in the Pentagon signing off on it. Oh, yeah, you bet, you bet. Yeah, give me a thousand of those. Yeah, you bet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, overrun? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, 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 whatever. You know? Well, yeah, I mean, it's easy to spend other people's money. That, that's I, If I had that luxury, are you kidding me? Well, and uh, and especially, Jay, if, you know, we're talking to General Jay, and he's at the Pentagon, and we say, hey, Jay, you know, uh, <laughs> hey, we got an idea for this thing. You want any? Well, I don't know. What does it do? It does everything. Well, everything, huh? Yeah, everything, and it only costs this much. Really? When can I have it? Oh, soon. Mm -hmm. Really soon. Oh, yeah? Well, I don't know. That seems kind of sketchy. Well, yeah, but you know what? There's like $5 million in it for you, General. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Huh? Well, I can't take that. Well, well, we wouldn't really just give you $5 million. I mean, it'd be in an account where you could have access mm -hmm. to it and all this stuff. What do you think, General? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. I'm getting Absolutely. old. I'm going to be on retirement soon. And yep. Hey, sounds kind of good to me. What do I care? It ain't my money. Exactly. A little vacation village in the south of France or down in the Bahamas, right? Yep. You know that's where they always end up. It's like, wait a minute. Generals don't really make that much money. Yeah, they make more money than the sergeant, but how does a general afford a, a vacation villa in Nassau? Generals are upper middle class. <laughs> they are, and you're yeah. You know, they make that kind of money, upper what used to be upper middle class. They yeah. can drive a Mercedes. You know, they got enough money for that, and, you know, they get paid well enough for that. They can have a Mercedes, have a Cadillac. They can have that. They have a nice, uh, you know, four- or five-bedroom house. 
but they can't afford a mansion. No. And they certainly can't afford to live in the Caribbean and have their own private jet. Mm-hmm. Unless. But many of them do <laughs> after they retire, so yeah. it has to be, there's, you know, okay, I'm just, uh, call me uh, skeptical. I and these are officers and gentlemen, by the way. Right. <laughs> well, Not. you see, I can say that because I know Jay wasn't an officer because uh, nope. I never liked him. I never liked any of them, actually. Uh, well, now, we had some pretty good officers in the Ranger Battalion. We really did. They were pretty good officers. Well, yeah, but everybody in a Ranger Battalion is above average. Well, I I would agree with that. Yes, I would. And I but I would have to say that even in like in a special forces unit, you're going to have pretty good officers. Sure. Maybe even better than in a Ranger unit because Ranger units are not as specialized. As well, they're the stepping forces. stone to special forces. Pretty much, you know, in in a sense they are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you can't really I mean, you you're kind of the red-headed stepchild in special forces if you well, don't have a Ranger tab, huh? Well, yeah, for sure. No, I think, <laughs> well, you know, you got to yeah. do that. You do, yeah. But you know, hey, the so thing I'm... is, though, in the regular army, uh, officers kind of suck. They do suck. They're stupid, and they don't know yep. what they're doing. And if it wasn't for sergeants, uh, they'd be sitting in the middle of a field with their thumb up their butt. Pretty much. Pretty much. You know, a lot of the off now, I don't know if this is true now, but when I was in, you know, the, uh, I won't know a lot. I don't know if it's a lot, but many of them, you know, they didn't come out of like West Point or something like that. They they were actually like my lieutenant and my platoon was he was a sergeant and went to uh, OCS, Officer Candidate School at Fort Benning. You know, so he was an enlisted man. Mm-hmm. And then he went and became a second lieutenant. And then he was gone for a year because they make them go somewhere else for a year to serve their first year of their commission. Then he came back to the Ranger Battalion. See, if they were smart, they take second lieutenants and lock them up for a year until they're eligible to be a lieutenant because they seem to lose their mind when they become a second lieutenant. Well, not in the Ranger Battalion, they don't. They, we had very good second lieutenants in because the, they were former. Most of them were formerly sergeants, E5s or E6s or 7s, and went to OCS or uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, my my personal experience with officers has never been good. And even though, I mean, okay, the lieutenant I drove for was a nice guy. Okay. But, okay, he's a nice guy. But uh, I don't know. If you're in a mechanized infantry and you're the lieutenant and you're, you know, okay, I'm in charge of, like, I don't know how many it was, five or seven APCs, right? That okay. this, this lieutenant was he he was the 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 one we move where he says and we you know okay so I'm his driver right and uh, come to find out he can't read a map. That's pretty common. We're lost. Okay. <laughs> I say, stop. Stop. Stop right here. He realizes we're lost. This is <laughs> I don't know where we are. Well, we're least, lost. He, yeah. Okay. Well, so he gets on the headset with me. Did. And says, uh, you know, because I got a map, too, because I'm the driver. Now, I got to have a map, right? So I have a map. And, I, hey, I'm just going where he tells me to go up to this, right, up right, to this right. point, right? Right. Uh, I mean, I was a private. I don't get to make decisions, right? I just, okay, yes, sir, off we go, you know, and stop. Yeah, yeah. I, don't know where, I don't know where we're at. I said, you don't know where we're at. Yeah, I said, well, and I looked at the map, and I said, well, we're in grid whatever it was. And he goes, we're not supposed to be there. 
I said, well, nevertheless, <laughs> you know, right, right. that's where we are. Uh, yeah. He goes, well, we need to be in grid whatever. And I'm just like looking at my map because, see, I learned to read a map in second grade out of my weekly reader. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with the weekly reader. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I remember that. We learned to we learned to read maps out of the weekly reader in like second grade. I thought it was cool well, because this is a lot more fun than reading. How to, a lieutenant had to have learned how to, but I know I, there's a lot of people can't read a map. Well, anyway, so I said, well, okay, uh, I, I, I see where we're at, and I see where you say we we're supposed to go, so what we need to do is this. And he goes, okay, do that. <laughs> so, okay, off we go. And, uh, you know, and eventually we get to where we're supposed to be. But, you know, I mean, here's a man put in command of a mechanized infantry mm. unit, and he can't read a map. Somebody should have figured that out, you know, before, should have before me. And and but you're right. A lot of people have a lot of trouble with maps. I've met a lot of homeless people, you know, hitchhiking. That they had trouble reading maps. You know, they wanted to go places and and they had a map, but they just you know. And man, come on, an interstate map thing is easy. This is like well, yeah. See, I know. can't even fathom it. Actually, I know it's it's like, are you kidding? Really? You know, because, I know topographical maps are a bit harder to read. But, hey, well, folks out there, let me tell you something. The Army has some of the best maps. They got some, man, they have some detailed maps. I mean, they got yep. maps. If there's a, a a rock, a big rock, it's on the map, okay? It's I, on there, and their and, and their scale, if you will, not the scale, but the, I don't know what it's called at the bottom right. Yeah, yeah, they got the key down there. If you will. You know, it's, it's all in detail, and it, it pretty much tells you exactly what you need to do. Oh, I love those maps. I thought, man, yeah. these things are great. I could go anywhere yeah. with these. You know, yep. this and a compass, I, I'm yeah. I, I'm good. Yeah, that's exactly. But uh, not so much for, you know, well, lieutenants. <laughs> you know, so. Well, sir, well, in the regular Army, sure, but, like, I didn't serve in the regular Army, and, I, you know, I don't ever really brag. But, you know, it's a little bit different in the Ranger Battalion. Let's know. hope so, because, you know, <laughs> I mean, honestly, uh, you know, they're supposed to be, you know, kind of the elite forces. We and, never uh, got lost. And here's the thing. Well, that and Here's the, the thing. A Ranger is never lost anyway, which is what, what they call it. A Ranger's never lost. We're just, like, misoriented or something. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, a little funny thing that they would say. Yep. But, no, I don't ever remember getting lost. No, yeah, you can be a little off, you know, oh, well, we should yeah, be 100 be yards a over off. there right or, right? or something like that. Well, this isn't the rock on the map. You know, that rock is over there. You know, we need to walk over there a little bit. But you're never in the wrong grid. No. <laughs> you know? that would, uh, no, that just wouldn't work. Okay. No, it doesn't work for a mechanized infantry unit either. <laughs> no. You know, I mean, here no. we are out in the middle of nowhere with nobody. And it's like, well, where is everybody? Oh, we're lost. I see. Uh, yeah, yeah, and they're probably wondering the same thing. Where's that? Where's uh, F Company? Yeah, aren't they supposed to be here? <laughs> yeah, you uh. get that little reference. It's supposed to be F Troop, really. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't that a TV show from back in the day? Oh, yeah, yeah, F Troop. <laughs> F Troop. So where's F Troop? Well, they're, they're, they ain't here. So, oh. Jay, what have you been, uh, what have you been thinking about uh, what Trump's been doing in the last week? I think what he's doing is great, and the reason why and is because, look, you can tell 
and it's just my own opinion, how good of a job he's doing by the people that he's POing, if you will. Oh, they're losing their minds. And ringing. They're losing their minds. You know, they totally have misrepresented this whole immigration ban. If You know, that's what they call it, whatever it's called. They have completely and totally misrepresented it. And it's and it offends me and it angers me that. But, you know, I'm just Jay. And so I really can't, you know, rant about it. You know, or, you know, I can't get them to rant about it or to, to react the way I want them to. Uh, but I think what he's doing is, I think what he's doing is great so far. I really do. Well, I think what I he's doing, you know what? I, I I think what he's doing is a shame, but what he's doing is absolutely necessary. It's just a shame it has to be done. Right, I get that. Right, I get that. Sure, but he's doing it, and he's not taking, you know, he's not apparently not. He doesn't care what the not taking no for an answer. He's not, he doesn't care what the snowflakes think. I heard Rush Limbaugh the other day, and I don't listen to him that often. I honestly don't. Maybe once or twice a year. But I thought, I'm just going to tune in, just see what's going on. And he had some kind of an analysis, and I don't remember at all. I'll try and paraphrase it, though. It's like, remember back even before the election, or like the up, you know, the run-up, like it was Hillary and Trump and all that. You heard that Trump didn't listen to people, and People need to tell him to stop, like, offending this group and that group. And he's, he keeps saying things, and it's it's the wrong thing. And people need to tell him. And these people would say, we are telling him. We are telling him to, to stop this. He's going to destroy the Republican Party. And what Limbaugh said was, don't think for a moment that Trump doesn't know what he's doing or what he's saying, if that makes any sense. I don't, and I don't know if that really made any sense. Okay, no, it does. He knows what he's doing, and he knows what he he's knows saying. He knows what he's doing, exactly. He doesn't need somebody to tell him what to do. And so Limbaugh's like going, okay, so this person X goes to Trump and says, look, man, you got to knock that off, and you did blah, blah. Trump will go, I, I've considered what you had to say, and thank you very much. Now get out. Right out and, and then, right, and then <laughs> say exactly what he's going to say. And, and Limbaugh's point was, and I thought it was a good one, that that it's, it's, if anybody thinks Trump doesn't know what the hell he's doing, is is wrong, and I have to agree with that. No, I agree with it. Uh, I I thought he knew what he was doing from the very beginning. Exactly. See, the he thing about Trump, the one thing about Trump, I think, is that Trump figured out. You know what? I think, a, and I know a lot of people are going to say, "Oh, please, he's a billionaire." I get that, but he's also. He's a kind of a different kind of billionaire. He's not a George Soros billionaire or a Warren You're Buffett right. billionaire. Yep. Nope. But yeah, not. he's a billionaire. But the thing is, I think Donald Trump not only understood what everybody else was saying and feeling about what was going on, but he felt it too. And he realized, you know what? I don't think I'm the only one that's pissed off about this. I don't You're think right. I don't think I'm the only one that wants this ended and solved. So let me get out there and just hey, just, blah 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 yep. blah 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 blah. What do you think about that? And at first it was like, oh my god, this guy's a clown. Nobody's going to vote for him. He's crazy. Listen to him. I mean, nobody, no politician talks like that. I mean, hey, but you go down to your local bar, everybody's talking like that. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So you know, okay, so the snowflakes we wouldn't darken the door of one of those filthy pubs. 
Right. They're going, oh, my gosh, this guy is insane. Oh, my gosh, yep. nuclear nuclear winter's gone the way if he, you well, know. But, right, but, but nothing of any substance. It's just he's a racist. I mean, let's just. Just call him a name. Did you pick a name, any name? Yeah, and, and they got lots call of them. Call him a name. And they do have lots of them, and that's all they can do. So oh, call him a name. Oh, he hurt my feelings. He's a racist. Oh, he hurt my feelings. He's a bigot. He hurt my feelings. He's a sexist. Oh, you- and Trump's like, you know, he doesn't even really respond to that. He, I don't. He, he's never really come out, has he? I, I haven't heard him come out at all ever since he's like been in this whole public forum, and now the president come out and apologized. No. Why should he? He's come out and said, nah, maybe I misspoke and I should have done this. No, because, see, once you do that, then you really didn't mean to do what you wanted, did in the first place. The only thing he's done, kind of a leader. the only thing he's done is he has come out and said, listen, that's not what I said. That's not what I meant, exactly. and that's not what I yep. said. This is what I meant, this is what I said. But the other mm-hmm. stuff is like, yeah, so what? Get over it. Exactly. You know? Get uh, over it. You know, Sean Spicer was, I, I watched a little clip of him on YouTube just a day before yesterday or whatever, and he and it was a CNN reporter, and he told her, he said, you are the problem. Yeah. You people are the problem. You are the ones that keep putting out a false narrative, and they, she kept trying to interrupt them. And he's like, no, 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 no. President Trump has been very clear about the, the, the immigration thing, and you keep putting out. And then another reporter chimed in. He's saying, no, 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 you too. So you too. You – or re, you you report things that are false and you misrepresent what he said. Now I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Right. But it's they just don't like it. They don't like that. They you know what these journalists? They're running out of things to cry and whine about. Yep. Obviously, yep. because you know what they're they, <laughs> you're going to like this. What their latest? Um, let's see the headline. Journalists freak. Okay, that's the headline. Journalists freak. They're freaking out, man. You know why? Because Sean Spicer took two questions from Skype. Live from Skype. Live Skype questions from Lars Larson, who is an Oregon radio show host, and yeah, from Natalie Herbick of Fox 8 in Cleveland. They Skyped in and they got to ask their questions. And the journalists are freaking out. Oh my I God! What I would, I wish he would do what he said. He, I don't know if he said he was going to do it, but there was this thought out there. Do you recall that they're going to move them to another have, place? Well, they were going to uh, have like change it up, like every week or so. They uh, like this press conference. You know, these group of reporters. And then next press conference, uh, th- this other group over here. Not like the same White House correspondents, like from CNN and NBC and so forth. Get other ones in there from other outlets, Lars Larson, for example. And he's kind of mainstream. And the other gal from a local Fox station, you know, bring these other people in here. Not the same. Those people are the problem. I don't know how, and I'm sure other people get it, that those that the press is the problem. I really have to. Well, they are, and they're freaking out because they're losing their grip on the White House. Yep. I mean, they're going on and on. What an effing joke these Skype seats are. Okay, that's oh what they're saying. God. Now, Jeez. you know, these are these are real journalists on the other well, end of the Skype, right? Yeah, sure they are. Uh, so what's the big problem? So well, if I can't walk my smelly ass into this room, I I don't count. Right. Really. Why is that? He got a, 
It's just, it's the whole entitlement mentality that these reporters have learned over the years. And they've been able to – you talk about a bully pulpit. The president really hasn't had one or one that I can remember. Maybe Reagan actually used it. Trump is using it. <laughs> He's mastered it. Because the bully pulpit is actually on the other side, or it has been. You know, it's the press. Right. Obama wouldn't say anything. You know, because he wouldn't, he doesn't want to be bashed by the press, so he, he would couch his words and pander and, and do what he did. Yep. And the media loved him. Trump isn't doing that. And they're like, oh, the news, oh, he's a racist. You know, that's all they can do. It's it's hilarious on one hand, but on the other hand, it's frightening. It's well, it'd be, it'd be hilarious if they weren't so serious about it, which they are. Right. And, you know, but these right. snowflakes got to understand one thing. That, you know, they're talking about assassinating the president and overthrowing the government with the military. And you know what? <laughs> okay, assassinating the president, I would take that seriously and, and, and say, listen, you're getting a visit. But, and, Frank, and, now, let me stop you here. Listen, there have been more than one – there has been, has been more than one instance where, sim, where words have been spoken like that, kind of, sort of. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson, the quarterback and. I'm doing something, you know, writing a blog post. But Russell Wilson, he's the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. And the headline is, he doesn't think President Trump is going to last four years. That's part of the headline, or one of his quotes, that he doesn't think Trump is going to last four years. Okay. If you were the Secret Service, what would you think? How about this? What if I were to call in to the White House and say, hey, man, I don't think Trump's going to last four years. What do you think would happen to me? Well, I would certainly ask you, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? You think he's going to be impeached or what? What, what are you right. saying? What do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's a legitimate nobody... question. I don't think the guy should be rousted and harassed or anything, but somebody should ask him, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? But my point is, if if I had done that to, to a Barack Obama presidency, it, there wouldn't even be what did I mean by that. Right. We know funny. what you mean by that, you racist. Right. They, exactly. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. It, it's just unbelievable. But, you know, they also I say, I, I was reading this thing here. I probably got it up here somewhere, uh, you know, that <laughs> they're talking about, oh, well, uh, you know, maybe the uh, military ought to uh, overthrow. Yeah, here it is. They maybe ought to, uh, uh, writing for foreign policy, Georgetown University professor, okay, uh, they're talking about how, well, you know, they could use the military to overthrow Trump. And it's like, well, okay, you know, that's, that, that's a, that's okay. That's an academic thing. You talk about that all day long, but guess what? See, the military supports Trump. Mm-hmm. See, so there's a little problem with that whole overthrow thing, right? Yeah. Well, that's kind of banana Republic too. You know, that's what banana Republics do. They, the military turns and. Yeah, but, but that, okay, so not when they're supporting the president. They're not doing no, that. <laughs> no, no. They better be careful because see what happens in banana republics when, uh, you know, some ro- people who want revolt start talking about military coups and the military finds out about it. The military goes and pays you a visit. They pay you a visit. And say, hey, you yeah. know what? We're not the Secret Service. You're not going to like this. <laughs> right. You know, because, uh, you know, we, hey, guess what? Oh, hey, you're going to love this. Uh, communist, we're with him. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh. We're with him, and I have a tank. <laughs> hey, the Wall Street Journal had an article, I think, last week, saying the the, the different ways or the, the this and or mechanisms to to the many ways or something like that to 
unseat us president. And I'm like, and I don't have it in front of me or anything, but I, I'm like, I, I'm I like, saw oh, that. Really? Some, the Wall Street Journal and they're, they're, what are they doing here? I mean, what's going on with well, these people? My personal, and I'm running out of time, but my personal view on that whole thing is, well, you know, okay, talk is talk, and everybody in this country is entitled to talk about whatever they want, and I'm not yeah, one to yeah. say, well, okay, you know, just because you say you'd like to see the president dead doesn't mean you're going to go kill him. I get that, and right, yeah, right. that's fine with me. I don't care. You can tell me that you want to see me dead, too. That's fine, but the thing is, if it happens... These snowflakes better get something through their head that there's a bunch of people out here like me that if mm -hmm. that does happen, the next group that comes in and thinks they're going to be in charge, you're not going to be in charge because I'm not going to listen to you. And if you try to tell me anything, I'm going to kill you or you're going to kill me brother. and then we're going to go right. for it because you know what? If you're going to go, if you're going to do this, then we're it's on. It's look okay. I know you don't have much time, but it's them, Frank. I, I, I'm not trying to get you to agree with me, but it is the other side that is pushing. Yeah, of course, pushing. I agree. They're pushing, man. You know, and we're out here going, look, man. The election's over. Let's move on. Let's stop it. But they keep pushing and they keep pushing, and it is absolutely ridiculous. You know, and all it really comes down to is, listen, Snowflake, we tried it your way. It doesn't work. It now doesn't we're going to try it our way. Uh, this you know, other way. You know what? That might not work either, but we're going to find out, and you need to shut up. You know? Like, we had to shut up. Think I liked eight years of Obama? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> exactly. But, you know, hey, and you think he was legitimate? Are you Really? These right. people actually can say somebody, anybody, is not legitimate? When they just got done at eight years of a fraud, exactly. and I mean a fraud on so many different levels. Yep, yep. Forget, yep. It's, it's forget, documented. oh, we don't know where he was born. We don't even know what his name really is, okay? Nope. We don't know if he's a faggot or not. We don't know if he's nope. a Muslim or not, okay? We nope. don't know anything about We don't know who paid for his schooling. We don't know nope. where he was when he was supposed to be at Columbia University. We don't know how yep. he got to Pakistan. You know, we don't know any of these things about this guy. And they're saying, well, Trump's not legitimate. Oh, <laughs> really? It's ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. It's like an alternate universe or something. I mean, it it's, it's crazy. These people are mentally ill. You know, I've heard people say that about liberals for a long time. Well, they're, they're mentally ill. And well, I like, Michael wow, Savage that's... wrote a book about it, and I'm not a fan of Michael Savage, but right. he wrote a book. I know, yeah. And I thought liberalism is a mental disorder or something like that. Yeah, and I thought, well, that's that's cute and that's that's a nice insult and all that. And uh, you know, yeah, okay, <laughs> well, I can say that. But you know what? I'm starting to think he's really on to something. Yeah. I mean, honestly, a, a true. Well, there's some instability. There is absolutely some instability. There's obviously some instability going on. Okay, it is them that are there that have been unhinged and are. They're unhinged, dude. And they have been for since Obama got in there. Five years? Mm, well, I've, I've, okay, at least eight years then. <laughs> well, they got their way, and George Bush did a lot to, you know, pave the way because he was such True a enough. terrible president. He was a terrible president. You know, and then comes Obama, who was even worse. So it's like, wow, this is great. But you know yeah, what? That was an upgrade. Even at, even at, you know, hey, I didn't like Obama, but. I thought, well, hey, you know, at first I thought, well, I get it why people support him, though. 
And and same well, re- sure. you know same reason a lot of people supported Trump. He's not Hillary. Right. Well, Obama right. wasn't Bush. So okay, fine. Anybody but Bush. Anybody but Bush. You know, and that's and that's uh, kind of what it was this time. And that's I don't know if that's necessarily a discount or a slight to Donald Trump. Uh, and I well, really it isn't because not. what he was saying is. I mean, it's just. I don't think at another time what he was saying would be accepted by the American people the way yeah, it was accepted this time, if not for Obama. However, uh, what he's saying is right. See, what and Obama was think... saying was just a bunch of BS, uh, you know, hey, a chicken in every pot, I'm going to help everybody right, who's right. black. Every Mexican in the world gets to move into America. Everybody's mm-hmm. going to get free everything. It's going to be great. Every, you know. And that's all he did. Trump got out right. there and said, no, you see, we're going to close the borders. We're going to do this. Yep. We're going to do renegotiate trade deals. We're going to do these things. Things. Not, hey, free for everybody. Come on in. You know. Right. So he had a little different platform, but I don't think it would have been accepted any other time except after eight years of Obama. I would agree. And I'll say this. I don't think a Ted Cruz or a John Kasich or pick any of the other – Jeb Bush, I don't think that they would have defeated Hillary Clinton. No. I, um, I guess so. my point is, if Donald Trump hadn't been the nominee, we would be sitting here right now with Hillary Clinton as president. I agree. I, I, I agree. And, she would and have trounced any of those people. The Republicans I mean, were completely wrong when they yep. said, well, they said exactly the opposite. They said, well, if we pick him, we're going to get trounced. There's no way he can beat her. No way. And and he was the only one that could beat her. And he was the only one who told everybody that. I'm the yep. only one that can beat her. He did, too. Yeah, he yep. did. <laughs> yes, he did. And he was right. So He was dead right. You know. Anyway, Jay, I am over out of time, and so I, I got to go. But, hey, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for calling in. And I'm glad that, hey, Thanks. the new number works. Thanks, Thanks for taking my call, Frank. Take All right. Care. See you, Jay. Folks, I got to go. I'm over time here, but, hey, it's good to be king, right? I'll see you again tomorrow. Stay tuned. We got good stuff coming up, and thanks for listening. religious and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. That diamonds and all the associations we have with diamonds the product of a marketing strategy. It's completely invisible, transparent. If you measure it in terms of how all the myths associated with this advertising campaign have been deeply inculcated in people, it's, it's, it's reached deeply into the popular imagination, uh, this is probably the most successful campaign in history. Tonight on Frontline... Diamonds? Aren't they girls best friends? Did something change? Are diamonds what we think they are? Precious and rare. I wound up discovering it was just the opposite. Everywhere where this car...
is everywhere you find diamonds. Huntline examines the cartel that controls the diamond trade. The supply, the price, and the myth. What makes this cartel different is it's controlled by a single company. Tonight, the Diamond Empire.
there is also a great deal of uncertainty. But that's something top dealers like William Goldberg take in their stride. It's fascinating. It's amazing. A lot of men that I know that are 10 years younger than I am um, can't wait to retire, and I can't wait to get here in the morning at 8 o'clock to produce these beautiful works, you know, these beautiful pieces of art from what looks like a pebble on the beach, and then to nurse it through all its stages. And then to finally come up with some of these wonderful things is uh, just a joy. Goldberg is one of the elite dealers who specialize in rare and precious stones. He has a team of cutters working just off Fifth Avenue. Some of the diamonds they handle will sell to royalty and movie stars for a million dollars or more. This stone is one of the longest ever, eight or nine months. It was, it was the most impossible task. We, every time we had new surprises, nature is very funny when it comes to these things. You know, there were new hidden imperfections which we didn't think existed before, which always seemed to s sneak in. We paid in excess of $10 million for this diamond. Everyone here is very highly skilled technician, and some of them have very specific jobs to do. This man, for example, he's cutting the uh, 85 carat stone. Right now, it's around 36 and a half carats, and he's putting the finishing facets on the bottom of the stone. The man behind him, brilliant here, put the finishing facets on the top of the stone. These gentlemen are very skilled, and they do the final fire in the diamond, the brilliant hearing. This stone's going to be a gem. This stone started out 38 carats. It's down to 21 now. Around 21, yeah. Harvey's uh, working the stone out. There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of balancing to do. Uh, it's coming out nice. You can see the shape. It's going to be a gorgeous marquee. measure diamonds by weight, in carats, five to the gram. Their value depends on color, clarity, and cut. Flawless stones which are pink, blue, or yellow bring the highest prices. The best can top $100,000 a carat. This stone will sell for a million dollars. Diamond is among the hardest known substances but many carats must often be ground away to cut a rough stone into a traditional marquee or brilliant. The smallest mistake is inordinately expensive. It calls for expert planning from a rough designer. I will try and find the largest, most pure uh, stone in here. Matter of fact, this stone will probably end up being three different stones because of the imperfections that I can find. For example, I do see a pear shape, and I do see an emerald cut, and I do see an oval. The most important thing is bringing out the beauty. De Beers is very proud to continue the diamond decade by 
representing its program for 1992. Most of the world's rough gem diamonds come through organizations run by the South African company De Beers, known in the United States by its famous advertising slogan, a diamond is forever. Fewer than 200 diamond merchants qualify for a site, the privilege of buying directly from De Beers. Everyone else must buy in turn from them. When we're sign holders, we get a sign every five weeks from De Beers. If you can come up with a huge sum of money, it would not, would, certainly would not qualify you to be a sign holder. It's rather the man that started 25 years ago with very little, with one or two cutters who has 15 or 20 now here, and who's constantly on the scene buying, and, and, who, and he's the man who, who, who means to stay here with his children to follow him. He's the man that qualifies to be a sign holder. It's like being admitted to a club. Because it is a virtual monopoly, De Beers cannot operate legally in the United States. All site holders must travel here to buy their rough gems, to a building known only as 17 Charter House Street. This is a fortress where 80% of the world's gem diamonds are sorted, graded, and sold. sends his request for the grade of diamonds he needs. But there are no guarantees. It is De Beers that decides whether or not he gets them. It's a decision that can make or break his business. Little 
um, profit to be made on this course. For whatever reason, at any given moment, they make a policy decision. I've been very angry and cussed a lot and been very upset. But um, that's, that's how the cookie crumbles. I have no, I have no options. What can you do when that happens? Just cuss and fret and look forward to the next, uh, the things will change at the next site. Can you leave all that on the table and say, I'm just, I'm not interested, I'm not going to make a profit this month? Can you do that? I, I, I told you on the way over here we can leave some of the specials, but it's just, it's not in the, we just don't leave the regular goods. Somehow it's, it's, it doesn't work that way. Because diamonds are so plentiful, 
It makes De Beers' virtual monopoly an astonishing feat. Its history begins at Kimberley, South Africa in 1871. Until that year, mines had been few and diamonds truly rare, mostly from India and Brazil. But the Kimberley find was huge. Among those who rushed to make their fortunes were two young Englishmen. Charles Darnell Rudd, my great-grandfather, and Cecil Rhodes met here in October 1871. They were early uh, in the rush here, and they would have found a anthill, a mining camp, and as Rhodes described it, as Stilton sees as the claim holders dug down into this enormous diaminiferous kimberlite pipe. But their eyes were more directed towards De Beers mine, which is about a mile over the horizon there. And that's where they dealt with the farmer De Beer. And they bought uh, that farm out for 6,000 pounds. Um, the thoughts of Rhodes immediately began to concentrate on the amalgamation of all these individual claim holders. And by 1880, he had amalgamated all the claim holders on his mine, uh, the De Beers mine. And that uh, began the amalgamation of all the diamond mines and the formation of De Beers consolidated mines began in 1888. What Cecil Rhodes had launched was a diamond cartel. It was based on an earlier French scheme to monopolize copper buying up mines, restricting supply, and raising prices. From its first headquarters in Kimberley, De Beers brought out almost every other large mine in South Africa. But shortly before the First World War, diamonds were found over the border to the north in German Southwest Africa. A young German-born diamond dealer in South Africa went there to investigate. His name was Ernest Oppenheimer. Ernest Oppenheimer, in 1914, two months before the outbreak of war, went there to survey the territory and came back with a report that was mind-boggling and subsequently hidden from the public. The fact that this was the richest diamond field in the history of the world. It was an alluvial field, meaning diamonds were on the surface. You could go pick them up. And in fact, they, they put what they termed back then natives, black natives, each put a tin can around their neck and they line them up and they get on their hands and knees and they just pink, 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 put the diamonds into the tin cans as they walked on their hands and knees. This is how rich the fields were. Oppenheimer saw an opportunity and seized it. The German landowners, afraid of expropriation as World War I came to an end, agreed to merge their companies with his. Because both British investors and American financier J.P. Morgan had stock in his venture, Oppenheimer called his company the Anglo-American Corporation. Within a few years, it was clear that he had landed a supply of diamonds to rival even the mines owned by De Beers. Coming into the 1920s, Ernest Oppenheimer then said to De Beers, who controlled 
for the most part, the diamond syndicate, uh, diamond cartel. He said to them, listen, I am going to flood the world market unless you make me chairman of the company. And in 1929, he was made chairman of De Beers. That is the basis of the Oppenheimer fortune. Oppenheimer's mine, a private estate three times the size of New Jersey, became an exclusive territory known as the Forbidden Zone. It was the bedrock of the worldwide De Beers Diamond Empire, which the Oppenheimers began to build. The true genius of diamonds came through the Oppenheimer family, and came even with Harry Oppenheimer, who's running it today, where they realized that diamonds, as originally conceived, coming from only three or four mines, was wrong. The diamonds existed everywhere in the world. Everywhere where there's carbon, which is everywhere, you find diamonds. continued to imagine that diamonds were rare and romantic, De Beers was mining enormous quantities. Ernest Oppenheimer saw that more huge finds might force prices to go plummeting downwards. In 1930, a De Beers mining engineer warned, the diamond market is dependent for its smooth function on the maintenance of the illusion in the minds of the general public that the diamond is a rare and valuable stone. A De Beers director agreed, for goodness sake, keep out of the newspapers and parliament the quantity of diamonds that can be produced and put on the market. But as the colonies developed, diamonds began turning up all over Africa. Local people knew where to find them. Eddie Fortune is one of the small claim miners in South Africa. In the year 1931, in the morning I used to leave Chimney 3 o'clock by bicycle, and then I used to ride about 31 miles out of the little shack out in the diggings, and I used to work there. I didn't have trouble selling diamonds because my quality was very good, very big demand. But I never found a big diamond. The biggest I found was a fat egg carrot. But uh, small diamonds are medium sizes, 10s, 12s, 15s, 20 of them. To keep control, De Beers had to prevent the little mines from putting too many diamonds on the market. The simplest answer was to buy them up. companies came and they bought out the small diggers, you see. That's how they developed and became a big company to be bought out of But alluvial diamonds washed along the riverbanks were much more difficult to control. A film inspired by De Beers in the 1950s portrayed its adventurous young traders setting up buying offices in the jungle. These young graduates Oxford graduates. Basically, a buying office was them, a bunch of porters with food on their head and a cash box on their head, and they'd put a box down the middle of a clearing, and they'd start buying diamonds in the local currency. So they'd, they'd ship in all these guys to do this, to prevent smuggling.
and this did not suit Anglo-American. They wanted the whole trade for themselves. Fouad Camille claims he contracted to work as a detective for the cartel in the 1950s and 60s, investigating unlicensed diamond dealing and smuggling from its mines. Diamonds going out of Sierra Leone and other African diamond markets were going to what Anglo-American uh, described as black markets, that is Antwerp, Amsterdam, Germany, some parts of the United States, and Israel. Now, these people were labeled black markets by Anglo-American, but in their own countries, they were respectable diamond dealers. To get information, Camille says he broke the law and even kidnapped people who fell under suspicion. And those that had diamonds, I took them as prisoners. I interrogated them, got information from them. I kept them as long as I wanted, week to week, some of the months, and released them when I wanted. There was beatings, there was punishments without food. We did everything we could to extort the information from them. There was a stage where no one dared to pass from their diamonds or no diamonds. So to put it bluntly, we were a terrorist group. That's what it amounts to. The cartel denies that Camille worked for either De Beers or Anglo-American and says his accusations are part of a vendetta against them. By the 1950s, the diamond cartel had amassed enormous power, taking control of diamonds at the source, making deals with colonial powers, building its network mine by mine, country by country. with the U.S. State Department. 
flies on to go meet with Mr. Oppenheimer of De Beers in South Africa in what, according to what, what is certainly shown by a number of declassified U.S. State Department documents, to be an attempt to stitch together a relationship between the De Beers empire and the Mobutu regime. So it's very clear that from the very beginning of the Mobutu regime, Templesman had an important role in, to put it most charitably, advising and guiding Mobutu on how to deal with companies like De Beers. The Oppenheimers, through Templesman, arranged to have the exclusive supply of diamonds shipped to their offices in London. about a country which is certainly one 
one of the two largest diamond producers in the world, where you have this Wild West kind of atmosphere. And looking at it from the outside, I would guess that this is the most difficult relationship over the years that a company like De Beers could have with an African government. This is an area of intense digging in Kapamba. Which is in neighboring Angola, regulated diamond mining is a casualty of its devastating civil war. In 1992, wildcat miners there swarmed the diamond-rich dry riverbeds, picking up small fortunes in alluvial diamonds. De Beers has spent an estimated half billion dollars to keep them from flooding the market and depressing prices. Each time diamonds are found in an inconvenient place, they begin the diamond cartel through intermediaries, through law firms they hire, ways to think, how can we prevent these diamonds from reaching the market? and uh, declaring something a national park, uh, tying things up in litigation. These are just the methods, and there's an infinite number of different methods you could use once you understand what the objective is. The objective is to prevent mines from being developed that are outside their control. Murfreesboro in southwest Arkansas is the home of America's only diamond mine. At the inauguration, Hillary Clinton wore a diamond found in this mine, which was discovered at the turn of the century. But today, the 100-acre site is mined only by tourists and amateur prospectors. Commercial mining was abandoned here in the 1920s, even though geological surveys showed the mine had great promise. The Justice Department investigated allegations that Ernest Oppenheimer had illegally influenced the closing of the mine to keep its diamonds off the market. Okay, we to get down here and see what we can go for. According to the Justice Department uh, records, Sam Rayburn and other principals of the Arkansas Diamond Corporation met in the office of J.P. Morgan in attendance of that meeting was uh, Sir Ernest Oppenheimer. As a result of that meeting, and what transpired is unknown, but the mine superintendent was telegrammed to shut the mine down and prepare it for a sustained closure. And as a, re as a result, Major operations never resumed at the Arkansas Diamond Mining Plant. The Justice Department was unable to determine whether the mine had been closed illegally or simply because it was unprofitable. But in 1992, a new preliminary geological study indicated the mine may in fact have commercial potential. Like most deposits, it will produce few gemstones, but many smaller stones could be found. They are important because they're used in cutting tools. Industrial diamonds are a multi-billion dollar business in their own right. Like a triangle. Yeah, triangle in shape. Yeah. 
Industrial diamonds have a strategic importance because they're used in the making of weapons. After the Arkansas mine closed, it meant that the U.S. military depended, like everyone else, on De Beers in London. When the Second World War started and Britain was faced with Nazi occupation, American strategists wanted to transfer a stockpile of diamonds to this side of the Atlantic, but De Beers hesitated. The story of De Beers during World War II was truly shameful when they denied the United States, which was an ally uh, of Great Britain and an ally of South Africa in prosecuting the war, when it denied the U.S. free access uh, to required quantities of industrial diamonds. production in factory and arsenal begins far behind the assembly line. Apparently fearful that diamond prices would fall if a military stockpile were sold off after the war, the Oppenheimers refused to allow any diamonds out of their control. De Beers claims it was only following the advice of the British government, but the cartel's actions were criticized by the U.S. Justice Department. Only after complicated arrangements where the Beers insisted on retaining control of those industrial diamonds by placing the supply organization in Canada was some accommodation reached so that the United States could obtain the quantities of industrial diamonds needed for the war effort on its own behalf and the behalf of its allies. Meanwhile, however, the Nazis did appear to be getting a steady supply of diamonds, and the Americans were very concerned to find out where they came from. We were able to get documents, secret documents, declassified from the National Archives in Washington that describe the investigation that they mounted into smuggling of diamonds out of the Congo. A U.S. intelligence officer, Henry Lee Staples, led the American investigation into the smuggling. Before he died, he worked with his son on a memoir of those days. He um, had assigned an agent, uh, Teton was his code name, and um, he had, uh, through whatever means those agents have, determined that uh, the largest uh, source of leakage was the Forminier mine, and uh, the diamonds from the that were leaked from the Forminier mine went to various points in Africa, and from there were, uh, by various routes, uh, smuggled into Germany. Belgian Red Cross parcels were loaded with uh, illegal diamonds and then sent to Switzerland, and from Switzerland to Belgium, which was, of course, occupied by the German forces. The Allies knew that without the Congo stones, Hitler had only an eight-month supply of industrial diamonds. But their hardest task still lay ahead. How could the smuggling be stopped? The Fulminia mine is, of course, one of the producers that is signed up in the cartel. Its production is exclusively marketed through the cartel. And indeed, the company which controls the mine, Sebeka, had as one of, its, one of its principal shareholders, Ernest Oppenheimer. So that as the beers, they were faced with the problem of either shutting down their mines entirely so there'd be no leakage, 
or operating their mines and making profits, and leakage would be inevitable. And as they were a business, they elected to continue in the diamond business, even though it meant inevitably, no matter what they did, and I'm not sure they did that much, but no matter what they did, diamonds would get through. It was impossible to stop diamonds from getting to Hitler. And what the diamond cartel then tried to do is prevent any investigation which would have revealed the very embarrassing reality that diamonds were getting to Hitler. The investigation was terminated. And the agent, Keaton, was convinced the investigation was terminated as a result of influence by the cartel on the British government. We were able to obtain declassified documents in Washington showing his cables complaining that his investigation had been aborted early. In its extensive investigation of the cartel's behavior during World War II, the Justice Department also concluded De Beers had overcharged the United States for the industrial diamonds it did supply. One U.S. official complained, this form of profiteering is the more obnoxious because it has been accompanied by pious public professions of sacrifice and patriotic foregoing of profit. And De Beers' wartime advertising did appeal to American patriotism. Buy our gems, the ad said, because they pay for mining, which produces the industrial diamonds America needs to win the war. I was born three billion years ago, fire and light. Cornering the world's supply of diamonds was a stunning achievement. No less extraordinary was the cartel's success in creating a demand for its huge stockpile of diamonds. Uh, what 
what, what is a familiar process today of planting products in films. I mean, we've all heard of the product endorsements and that sort of thing. But we're talking about Hollywood in its golden age where entire movies were created. They identified the, the biggest stars, uh, uh, actresses of that period, and they never appeared in public without their De Beers diamonds.
all the myths associated uh, with this advertising campaign have been deeply inculcated in people. It's, it's, it's reached deeply into the popular imagination. Uh, this is probably the most successful campaign in history. That's what we're here for, to respond to your requests and to help you sell more diamonds. De Beers' control of African stones and American consumers made it one of the most successful cartels in history. But it would face new challenges as diamond mines were discovered around the world. In the 1950s, diamonds were found in a place where neither South Africans nor Americans could easily do business, in Siberia. In 1947, geological prospecting parties entered the Yakutian taiga. Would this daring hypothesis be confirmed or not? The answer was given after seven years of persevering search. Yakut diamonds. If the Russians had dumped their diamonds on the market, it might have put an end to the cartel. But in 1957, while De Beers was very publicly opening a new building for its central selling organization in London, the Oppenheimers were very privately beginning to do business with the Russians. Workers gaze with pride at what they have accomplished. Russian diamond production was a problem for the cartel. Russia, the communists, were anathema to the South Africans. Equally, the South Africans were an anathema to the Russians. This created a problem for the cartel because they couldn't be seen to be dealing with the Soviet diamond production. The cartel is an operation that's well used to cloaking their business operations in mystery. They simply set up a separate operation owned by a UK merchant bank across the street from their offices. The diamonds would appear to have found their way into the central selling organization without a problem. By the 1980s, Russian diamonds were pouring quietly through London into the market. Harry Oppenheimer's son-in-law was seen at the Bolshoi. Officially coming from South Africa, he could not even have had an entry visa. Soviet Union became an important source of small stones, 
The problem for the diamond industry became finding cutters willing to work for low enough wages to make these stones profitable. India soon developed into the world's greatest cutting center. There are 750,000 cutters in workshops around Surat. Perhaps 100,000 of them, children under 13. They place 58 exact cuts on a diamond less than half a carat, smaller than a broken pencil lead. Many children work a 12-hour day, six days a week. They earn four cents a stone. The Indian diamonds have made it possible to make low-priced jewelry. It looks like a lot. It's called more flash for less cash. This is the expression that's used in the industry, and this seems to be the trend. We perceive popular retail price points to top out at about $500. This is what most of our customers are demanding now, and starting as low as $75, $80. We just got in some new samples today. These are examples. Here's a ring that sells for $70. There is $2 worth of diamond in this ring. But the fact that we can market it as an article with a genuine diamond makes it more saleable. Here's another ring. This is a $90 ring. There's a dollar diamond in here. It's a white finish that makes it appear like diamonds. There's only one diamond in the center. Australia's Ashton mine, the cartel machinery mobilized once again to bring this new find, the largest ever, into the fold. Until then, the cartel had co-opted diamond sources largely in Russia and African countries. Could they repeat the success in a country that was modern and democratic? The Ashton project certainly had huge reserves which, if it had gone into independent hands, would certainly have challenged the beer's monopoly. Now, I know that the Indian government had made representations to Australia to uh, take over the marketing. I myself uh, met with one independent... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.